when I first started coming down here, Richmond, Virginia was super locked down. So I'm just like, hey, like, you know, how about you and Jorge, my, my dog? Is, your dog's name Jorge? Yeah, my dog's name is Jorge, yeah. That's am- I didn't know your dog's yeah. name was Jorge. <laughs> no. when I, when Incredible. I, when, when... Welcome to the second episode of Pancom Podcast, starring the Freedom Bear, Nick Jimenez. Myself, Michael Beltran, and our guest, Dave Arvello. And then it's like all the applause, right? Right, exactly. That's how this works. Thank you, studio audience. Yep. You want to tell the people who this guy is? Dave. I'm not going to say shit in this one. What? No, come on. You have no, to say that's things. That's, that's, that's the structure of this you, podcast. You, 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 you cue me when you want me to jump in. You're cute. But, but you're there. You start the introduction. Tell people who this guy is. Dave, welcome to the podcast. That's all we're for. Thank you. Yeah. Um, what is your exact title before I fuck it up? Sure. So I'm the director of MMA athlete development at First Round Management, but essentially I'm a sports agent. You're a sports agent. Yes. Right. And funny enough, a bigger title and much more important, you are my neighbor. Yes, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> I think that that's, that's important for everyone to know, yeah. and I want to start this podcast with one of my favorite stories, actually probably one of the only five stories that I enjoyed from the year 2020. Dave is moving in next door, and uh, I, this is at the time when the Cadillac was actually driving, and I think I had my exhibit braids in that day, and um, I, didn't know, I didn't know what you did for yeah. a living. I just I saw you, and I'm like, this is great. There's another big gentleman that has tattoos also yep. so i'm not the only scary person in our complex I the same way. right and i was like, like yeah. i'm relieved right yeah. but i was like i don't know maybe the guy's an asshole i'm not sure so then i introduce myself and i talk and then i have no idea why you're with like four dudes that are all very fit and i'm yeah. like fuck man maybe it's, i have no idea this guy this is the muscle i don't know and then you um we're talking and then you said to me he's like hey man uh you own a record label and i said i said me? I said, yeah, yeah, you you own a record label? I go, nah. He's like, oh, I thought you owned a record label. And I was like, nah, but that would be cool. And he was like, nah, man, that f- sucks. And I, was, <laughs> and I was like, fuck, man, I really kind of wish I did. God. I yeah, I kind of wish I did own a record label. Yeah, no, I should have I let him on. It was probably the car and the braids and the and the thing. And the, it was actually the logo. I thought that, like, just for whatever reason, like, your logo just, I got, like, record label vibe from I that. I like it. I love it. So, Dave, tell the 22 people that listen to this, because we actually have 21 listeners, mm-hmm. uh, it's, but they're all spread out all over the world. They're, we have 21 listeners in 14 countries at this point, and uh, they'd like to know your story, where you're from, how you ended up here, how you ended up doing things. I know that uh, something that we became friends on very quickly is that you came up in boxing first, right, essentially? Yeah. Well, let's go. Let's unpack all the things. Okay, cool. So, um, you know, I, I came down here from, you know, Richmond, Virginia. I've been in Virginia for a really long time. Um, you know, my family's originally from, you know, New York. But, um, you know, my parents split up when I was like seven. And, you know, both remarried. And, you know, my mom ended up settling in, you know, Virginia. So throughout, like, my childhood, I kind of went back and forth between, you know, living with mom, living with dad. You know, I'd get into some trouble or other stuff in school, and then next thing you know, like, you know, I'm living with the other parent. And right. Just kind of went back and forth, but, um, you know, spent a lot of time coming up in Virginia, and then uh, I went to, well, I was sent to 
uh, Fork Union Military Academy in Fork Union, Virginia, um, about halfway through my sophomore year in high school, and uh, then was there for the rest of high school, then went to college, you know, in Virginia, and, um, you know, started working in the private security industry after that, and just kind of stayed in Virginia up until, you know, about halfway through 2020. Yeah. Um, but you know, is uh, I, I think you mentioned that you guys maybe played against Fork Union. No, I did. Yeah. I did play against Fork Union. Yeah. I play um, are the my college's JV team. Yeah. Which I was on JV for the first half of my freshman year. Yeah. Um, played against Fork Union. Yeah. And we lost by a lot. Yeah. Because there was a lot of people. Fork Union was at school yeah. that if you don't have like the grades necessarily, yep. you go there to a PG like, year. Yeah. For I don't know, like six months. You all of a sudden have great grades, and then all of a sudden you can go to a big school. Yeah. So, needless to say, uh, I played against Fork Union and Hargrave Military Academy Mm -hmm. also. And Hargrave at that time, Ahmad Brooks played for them. Mm -hmm. And uh, Tory Holt's little brother, uh, which was a quarterback, needless to say, they also beat our JV team. So... Yeah, I, that's when you told me that you went to Fork Union. It was like an automatic, like, oh, yeah, I remember those fuck faces. They fucking crushed us. It was terrible. This episode of Pancong Podcast is brought to you by our sponsor, Drew Estate and Master Blender Willie Herrera, who are proud to introduce the Herrera Esteli Miami Cigar. Crafted by Level 9 Cuban Rollers at El Titan de Bronce in Calle Ocho, the complete Herrera Esteli Miami line is expertly rolled with a lavish Ecuadorian Habano Oscuro wrapper over a rich Ecuadorian Sumatran binder with select fillers from the Dominican Republic and Nicaragua. The new look of Herrera Esteli Miami features a black and gold color tone and is available in the following five Vitolas. Nick. Tell everyone, what is a Vitola? A Vitola, and by the way, I would like everyone listening to this ad to know, this is the first take, and we're doing very well. I I am shocked. (laughs) I have no idea what's going on, and I have to say it's because of the anxious coffee that Nick has made. Oh, man. Just wait for the poops. Uh, (laughs) A Vitola, the term Vitola refers to the sizes of the cigars, right? So some of the common ones that people hear are Robusto and Corona and Mm. Churchill uh, those are all terms for vitolas. The five vitolas that just the... I want to interrupt you because it's not always about the size of the cigar. That's true. It is the type of cigar. So tell them. That's true. So the five the five vitolas that uh, that Herrera Tele comes in are Herrera Tele Miami Robusto Grande, five by fifty. Should we go with like? Uh, anglicized pronunciations is it a, for because your name is on the sandwich is this a robusto grande or a robusto grande i mean it depends how do you feel like our listeners in salina would feel i want them to feel like it's robusto grande Pff, bueno that's a good vitola so robusto grande which is a five by 50 by the way for the uninitiated five by 50 means it is five inches long and 50 64ths of an inch in diameter so uh, close to 5.6. So just you have p- painting a picture here in your mind. Robusto Grande, which is a 5x50. Toro Especial, which is 6x52. Lonsdale Deluxe, a 6.5x44. Piramide Fino, 6.5x54. Short Corona Gorda, which is 5 and 3 quarters by 48. This cigar is exclusive to Drew Diplomat Retailers. For more information, you can visit drewestate.com. That's D-R-E-W Estate. Dot com, 
or follow them at, at Drew Estate Cigar on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Mike, you had this cigar. I know that you're a Drew Estate fan. I am a Drew Estate fan. I'm very glad that they've come on as a part. I, as a general rule, I want to make sure that to the extent that we can, and we've pulled this off so far, we're only partnering with people and taking money from people whose products we're actually into. Like Santos. Uh, absolutely like Santos Sangria. Santos Sangria. I, I, I actually have told them, like, I'll, listen, I'll give you an ad because I'm out of Santos Sangria. Right. Uh, I have to say that um, after going through this ad, one of the things that sticks out to me the most is how very much I feel like this is softcore Cinemax porn at 11 o'clock. Explain to everyone a rich Ecuadorian <laughs> Sumatran binder how that doesn't sound very sexual. Listen, I, I don't know that the people at Drew Estate would object to our <laughs> selling not. them as a sexual product. Yeah. Uh, but in case anybody's curious about what that even means, so Ecuadorian Sumatran binder. So I, Sumatran is not a style of... That's the thing. Of sexual style. It's not a sexual style. Got it. I mean, although it depends, some people do sexual things with their cigars. All right. Listen, you open this door. Man, we fucked this ad up already. <laughs> Jeez. No, but uh, but Ecuadorian Sumatran. That might sound confusing to people who know their geography because Ecuador and Sumatra are both places. It is a Sumatran binder, meaning that it is a variety of tobacco uh, named for Sumatra, but it was grown in Ecuador. And you see this a lot in cigars where you have a an Ecuadorian Connecticut wrapper. Uh, which means that it's a uh, Connecticut tobacco variety, but grown in Ecuador. People who listen to this podcast are going to hear us smoke pretty soon. We're going to have Willy Herrera, the master blender, on as a guest on the podcast. Uh, if you're curious about cigars, that is definitely one you want to tune in for. I have to say that I, I smoke a pretty good wide range of cigars, and I, I gravitate towards Drew Estate a lot. I mm -hmm. think that the consistent how consistent and good those cigars are is like very rare. And we've talked about that a lot. Like, you know, sometimes you'll get a cigar and then it'll be great. And then you go back to get it like six months later and it's just not as good. Right. I've never had that experience with Drew Estate stuff. And it's like, I, I don't know. I've, I've been a fan for a long time, way before they started paying me to say I was a fan. <laughs> right. Way before. No, it's true. Yeah. It's true. No, we've been to cigar shops together more than once. You've pointed out Drew Estate things. But that's what I, I, I actually. I smoked that and that's awesome. The red label uh, Herrera Esteli, I smoke every week. Yeah. yeah. Every week it'll be the first, like, you know, when I go to one of these places, I'll go. That's the first thing I grab and then I'll go into something else second yeah. if I decide to smoke two or three that day. So I'm glad you brought that up because I want to make a distinction here. You, you referenced the, the one that has the, the red, red label. label on red it. Red and gold, yeah. And that's the core Herrera Esteli. Which is made in Esteli. Esteli is uh, the Nicaraguan sort of capital of cigar making. The Herrera Esteli Miami that we'd been talking about is actually made, and this is referenced in the copy that we read, but El Titan de Bronce in, in Little Havana. Uh, so this is also a cigar that you want to go after. And I remember I, I uh, passed this along to one of our friends in the uh, social media sphere who was putting together a list of local businesses. And I said, ah. like, hey, you might want to check out El Titan de Bronce. Uh, and El Titan in Little Havana is not just in Miami, but in the country, one of a very, very small number of American cigar factories that actually distribute all over the place. So it's cool that, you know, uh, that this is a product that people everywhere have access to. Um, and, and it comes from a small factory in Miami that has a, a very good reputation, not just all over the country, but all over the world. Somebody gave me one of these Miami ones for Christmas. So it was delicious. Merry Christmas. So, again, this cigar is exclusive to Drew Estate. 
uh, to Drew Diplomat Retailers. For more information, DrewEstate.com or follow them, Drew Estate Cigar on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We expect sales to go up 20% after this ad. I might cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> So when when um, talk about how you got into fighting, yeah. the whole like um, yeah, so boxing and then yeah, so, MMA. You know, I, I I grew up you know around boxing and stuff like that. People you know whether it's family or other people that I was around you know promoted boxing events. I grew up watching it. Um, you know, got a little bit more involved you know in that once I was in college and stuff like that. Working on the promotional side of things first. Um, you know, it's like we've talked about this, but I have like a very like love hate. Yeah, relationship yeah. with boxing um, but you know when I was in college you know MMA really started to take off mm. you know and um, so I started to get more into that started getting involved on the promotional side with MMA you know did that you know for quite some time before I got involved you know on the representation side for fighters um, you know a lot of people don't really know but it's like you have the Muhammad Ali Act in boxing which is supposed to prevent you know conflicts of interest and you know, it, it, ideally, it was to prevent some of the things that happened to like a lot of your old school boxers, where their promoter was also their manager and their business manager, and was wearing all these hats. And before guys knew it, they were walking away with fifteen percent of their actual right. earnings. And you know, some of these great guys from the past ended up penniless at the end of the day. The Muhammad Ali Act is well intentioned, um, but like most legislation, uh, what ends up coming out on the other end of the pipe is not at all what was intended right and um you know so post muhammad ali act the sport just mutated uh to operate around it and so you know it doesn't apply to mma it, it only applies to boxing so it unless maybe a state were to change their laws that you know say that everyone's a boxer it, it only really applies to boxing right um and uh but you know, obviously, you know, we've talked about it just in terms of the modern boxing landscape just right. adapted. Right. And um, so now you have the Ali Act that is kind of virtually unenforceable in a lot of places. Um, you know, a lot of people don't really realize that the sanctioning in boxing, and this is like a whole nother aside, but right. you know, whatever. But uh, the sanctioning in boxing, you have state athletic commissions, and then you also have private sanctioning bodies that own the belts. Like, you know, your WBCs, right. things like that. Um, if, and I've talked to various athletic commissioners in different parts of the country, if they were really going to enforce the Ali Act to the nth degree, boxing would flee their state and just move to neighboring states. And then in two years or less, they probably lose their jobs because most athletic commissions are improperly warehoused in a state's licensing department, like you have one here in Florida, you know, where you get your licenses to be a general contractor or a real estate agent or right. whatever else. That's where a lot of states' athletic commissions are housed, where they're then expected to generate revenue. So if you enforce these rules that make it very hard for boxing to operate, boxing's just going to go to the neighboring states, and you'll lose your job within two years, probably, because they're going to look at your department within that licensing agency and be like, hey, you're wildly insolvent. This isn't working. Thanks. And... You know, the, so most athletic commissions now just realize that most boxing promotions out there operating in various stages of blatant violation of a lot of the rules. But if they were to enforce them, you would just kill the sport. 
Right. Um, but that's, again, that's a lot of legislation. So, you know, boxing is kind of turned into the spectacle that it is right now. I was telling them before you got here, one of the many uh, good things I've learned since I've come down here is the term papilazo. There you go. Um, and, there you know, is. that is boxing now. Yeah. You know? Wow. Um, I'm so. glad that we can help with that. Yeah. That's good. What, um... So then when... Because you said you came up with boxing first. Yes. When did you switch over to MMA? Uh, towards the end of college, um, I started to work on the organizational side, uh, like matchmaking and helping put together put together like MMA events. Um, so, you know, for people who don't know, like matchmaking and fighting is just putting fights together. So you talk to one side of a fight, talk to, you know, the fighter, the trainer, manager, whatever it is. And then, you know, you basically arrange a fight between two different fighters on a certain event at whatever weight it's supposed to take place, financial terms, all that stuff. So I started to do that and um, just kind of kept going on the organizational side for a long time. Um, never really occurred to me to start working with fighters on the representation side, but I had worked with um, you know, some guys who worked at an agency I used to work for and you know, worked with them, established a good relationship with them. So like right before I got married, um, they offered me the opportunity to come and start working with them and it just kind of made sense at the time. So I started doing that. Um, just kind of went from there. Mm. And you work for First Round Management now? Yes. This is like fairly new, right? Yeah. So um, I was working in a different company before that was based out of Richmond, Virginia. That's where I came from initially. And, um, you know, then obviously coronavirus happened and, you know, it started to get more out there. And, uh, you know, people were starting to get more concerned about it, but you were still having events happen. The UFC was still functioning. All of your, um, you know, kind of farm level to mid-level events were still happening. Um, and, you know, but it started to become more of an issue. People were getting more concerned about it. The case numbers started going up. And then I remember I was at, uh, I was at a sports bar with my wife getting some wings. And I believe it was uh, either March 9th or the 12th, one of the two. But it was, I watched it happen live when they showed the footage of Mark Cuban looking at the text on his phone and seeing that the NBA was suspending operations. And then he was like, ah, you know, I remembered watching that live. And I just told my wife, I was like, everything is going to stop. Yeah. And I had clients that had fights coming up and like, oh, man, it'll be, you know, good in a couple of weeks. And I'm like, no, bro. Like if if people at that level of business in sports like the NBA, you know, the, the highest levels of soccer, like all these other like major league sports operations are suspending operations this is going to get really bad if you have a fight coming up within the next couple of months now you don't yeah. it's going to get canceled it's just a matter of time we you know uh, you know like at that point sure we uh we were going to do a catering event for george moss's soccer team for their uh first home game mm -hmm. and that was literally like the week before it all happened yeah and then it just didn't happen yeah i mean it was it's crazy. Like, everything yeah. stopped. Yep. We're talking about March 17th, I believe, is when everything shut down here. Yeah. Um, and I remember, it was like, people were like, yeah, no, 14 days, 14 days we'll be out of this. <laughs> yeah. 21 days. You know what? It's going to be a month. A month. You know what? It's looking more like six weeks. And then, you know what? It's looking more like three months. And like, eh, there's still some parts of the country right now that are like, nah, we're good. We're still closed. You know? Yeah. So, it's just one of those things that... <laughs> it's all still kind of fucking weird, right? Yeah. I mean, MMA, I, 
and we spoke about this too, yeah. since you're my neighbor. I yeah. see you every day. Um, I, I've never been a big MMA guy. Sure. I mean, I didn't know much about boxing until I started boxing myself two and a half years ago. And um, I started watching MMA during quarantine with Nick. Yeah. Because that was literally like one of the only, like, hey, I'm going to Nick's house to watch the fight. Because I don't know what, what else, else to do. do. <laughs> yeah. Like, there's pretty much not, not that I don't enjoy your company, Nick. I really, the Freedom Bear and me get along very well. But, uh, except we disagree on everything. But, you know, at that time I was like, we're just going to go on. I just knew you were bringing pizza and batch cocktails. Oh, so. man, we did take a lot of yeah. batch cocktails. You know what What really made it was the Santos Sangria. Santos Sangria. Which you is not sponsoring this. And Canya Venus, which is also not sponsoring this. <laughs> I I don't think they're ever going to pay considering that you've never pronounced. What? Can, what? How are you supposed to say it? I think it's uh, Canna Venus. Canna, so what like am I cannabis saying? cannabis and then Venus. So what am I like saying, though? You say, like, can you Venus? <laughs> do I? Yeah, but I'm into it. Just keep doing. How do you say it again? Say it, say it right again. I think it, I'm pretty sure it's cannavinus. Cannavinus. Yeah. Cannabis. Pay us. Cannabis. Listen, wine. It's, right. It's well. It's it's it's. It's supposed to be wine that is paired perfectly right. with marijuana. There's no cannabis. Okay. Would you like it's, a bottle? I have a bottle. If you want one, sure. I'll go. leave it on your doorstep. I believe cool. it's yeah. a it's a mint infused white. It's a mint infused. Is it a Moscato? I, I have no fucking idea. So, Honestly, I don't know. The fuck you know what? I didn't. There you yeah, go. I if didn't. You like wa- Moscato and you smoke weed? I guess you're the target market here. <laughs> I, I mean, if our our in our complex, we're definitely we're definitely fogging the place up in our corner of the complex. I don't know about <laughs> anyone else, but for us, it's you know, over at uh, eleven and twelve. I think that's our numbers. We're, we're doing pretty good. Um, but I started watching MMA at that time. Yeah. So I started learning more. You know, that's like, uh, I, I had, I really had, and I still know very little about the entire sport, but sure. Nick is an avid MMAer. Is that a proper term? MMAer? Yeah. <laughs> uh, MMA supporter. Okay. okay. MMA fan, you know what? M- sure. Um, so during the whole quarantine, I mean, the only thing on TV was sports wise to watch was UFC. Yep. And I think they they gained a lot of traction with people like me that I was like, and oh, yeah. now, even now, I'm just kind of like, yeah, I'll watch a fight. I mean, I didn't know, I still don't know much about it, but sure. I, I'll watch it in comparison to before. I wouldn't yeah. watch it at all. So I think they were one of the first, and then the NBA, I think, did a pretty good job of figuring the fuck out, too, with with the whole bubble thing. And like, yeah. I mean, they, that, I didn't really see any other way out of that sports-wise. Sure. Um. Because even even now we're in a place that it's like, do we allow fans in? Are fans going to be there? Thirteen thousand fans, but is thirteen thousand too many? Where is it? What is MMA doing right now? Still no no fans, right? It 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 varies. So, just as an aside, I, you were talking about um, you know basketball, and I just kind of shrugged. Just growing up, I was always so horrifically awful at basketball that I've just never paid attention. I've never been a fan. So people are, you know, have talked about basketball, like, oh, like, they're doing this. And I'm just like, I wouldn't know. Uh, you know, I just haven't paid attention. But, um, you know, it's uh, as far as MMA goes, it varies by region. So um, obviously, like, the UFC, and then you also have Bellator, which is essentially the number two league, you know, in the con- in North America and by extension the world, really. Um, they, you know, have a they have large broadcasting deals, so they have the means – and the revenue coming in to basically they're doing closed events right now. Um, 
no fans. Sure. Um, you know, so they're doing events with no fans, and um, you know that's working for them. Um, I don't think the UFC or Bellator, other like larger leagues that have large broadcasting deals, I don't think that you see them move back to having full shows with full fans and everything until this is just over. Like, until COVID is gone. And it's going to be a while. Yeah. So, um, you know, at the end of the day, the UFC was able to do that pretty well because they, you know, and the foresight behind this was actually really amazing. But they've, you know, over the past, you know, couple of years, they've really expanded their campus in Vegas and they built their own venue inside the UFC Apex so they can produce their own events. And, you know, before coronavirus, you know, they had you know, the capability to have small audiences in there, you know, just kind of more intimate setting and stuff. I've been to fights in the old venue that they had, which is much smaller, where they filmed the Ultimate Fighter and also filmed the Contender Series. But the new one they have is very nice, but currently they have no fans there. But it's all on their campus. It's a completely insulated thing, so they have all of their own resources to do that. And uh, Bellator, they're doing closed events kind of in a bubble at the Mohegan Sun Casino in Uncasville, Connecticut, which is a venue they've used a lot. Um... Now, the rest of the sport, you can kind of compare uh, MMA and also boxing to um, the way it's kind of structured is very similar to baseball in the sense that, like, okay, you have the New York Yankees, but then you have various farm level teams that, you know, kind of scale down beyond that. So the New York Yankees top farm club might be in a place like Orlando or something, you right. know, a decent city, you know, you have the you know Orlando Stingrays or something, and then the bottom level is going to be like the... BFE Mississippi Swamp Rats and you're playing and you know getting a couple hundred bucks a week and a five dollar foot long as your salary you know and, it's not and, wrong with the foot long uh, nah. <laughs> I also wouldn't mind a BFE uh, what was it what was the BFE team uh, the Swamp Rats I wouldn't mind a BFE Swamp Rats jersey yeah. I would I would take a, I would take a Swamp Rats jersey minor, minor league baseball merch is actually better than oh, any of without the a doubt. major league stuff I, yeah. when I Lived in Virginia for, for those four years. Yeah. We used to go to minor league games yeah. because a lot of, like, high-level baseball guys. Yeah, they start there. Yeah. Right. Like, Kurt Schilling was, when he was on, like, uh, coming back from some kind of injury, he threw a couple of innings, and we would go watch him. And, you yeah. know, like, that was, that was the cool part of the minor league circuit around there. Yeah, I mean. So let me ask you, yeah. your job mm-hmm. now, and I know we, we, we all – we, we've talked about it a little bit, um, but essentially, since you're like a talent scout, because mm-hmm. you tell me you take trips to here, there, or whatever, yep. what is it exactly like you're looking for? Like, again, I, think of me like I know nothing. Sure. You know? Um, I know like the big names, like the Yoel Romero's, the Valerie Laredo's, the Masvidal's, the yep. things. Sure. Uh, but... What do you need to find in someone to say like this person is going to make it to this level, and what it how like how do you make that connection? And because of the traveling that you do, and so on and so forth, like how do, how is it harder because you're traveling and this person is in their dynamic, but you're not in your dynamic? It's just it sounds very interesting to me. Yeah. So I mean, at the end of the day, I, you know, I work with people, and you know, at, at the agency I'm at, you know, we we have clients all over the country all over north america all over the world um at the end of the day like just in terms of you know fighter and stuff i mean obviously the first part that you know would really jump out is obviously talent skill 
Um, you know, are they exciting? You know, things kind of jump out on the page when you see guys coming up as amateurs. Some prospects, you might even get a hold of them before they have a couple of amateur fights if they're coming from another high-level athletic background, like guys transitioning out of, say, you know, college sports, like, you know, football, basketball. Obviously, wrestling is a big one. Greg Hardy you know, kind of. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's a totally different, you know, situation with guys coming from another high-level pro athletic background, like Greg Hardy. Um, you know, it's... You know, talent, skill, athleticism is one thing, but also, too, you know, what's the situation they're in, uh, what's kind of the scene they're coming up in, the talent pool, the people they face as an amateur, um, you know, and also what are they like as a person. Um, obviously, it's a story as old as time, guys with all the talent, potential athleticism and skill in the world, but whether it's mindset, lifestyle, people around them, other things that, you know, when you've been around sports in general for long enough, you can just kind of see certain red flags that you might see very early on with a guy that, you know, I might say like, Hey man, this guy's a lot of potential, like, but he's off the rails in his personal life or just, you know, his coaches are just kind of not, um, really going to take him, but so far, or just whatever the case may be. So sometimes you might back off. I mean, it's really just a lot of things. I mean, not to say that, I mean, it's fighting. So, fighting is full of characters it doesn't necessarily need to be like everyone's of like the highest moral fiber you know the nicest choir boy type dude imaginable if anything it's probably the opposite but in some cases you know but at the end of the day it's kind of just what's a guy's mindset and temperament like too you know like are they really about it or are they some guy who's trying to be a fighter because football didn't work out and they think that it's going to be easy to just you know get to a high level in fighting and start getting paid which the, it couldn't be further from the truth fighting is not easy yeah brutal brutal um, <laughs> yeah it's like brutal like but uh both literally in the ring and on the business side it's very brutal um, yeah so you know that is a lot of the different stuff you look for um there's no magic bullet for anyone I, you know some guys train at some of like your bigger gyms you know that are well known throughout the world and other guys go very far training at a smaller gym where they're from and that works very well for them it's like there's no like south florida itself is kind of a mecca for fighters in general both on the boxing and when you told me that i was kind of shocked yeah i mean again because i don't know much about the sport so when you said that i was like wow really yeah south florida is a mecca yeah a mecca is such a strong word yeah you know like because south florida is a mecca for uh high school football talent sure yeah in certain positions you know like we're Mm -hmm. known for like skill positions defensive backs you know uh i went to fork union with a guy jacoby ford who was from yeah. south florida and stuff. yeah he, he went to uh, he played uh, for the raiders yeah and he played for the raiders yeah. and then he i think he went to a couple teams after that too he but, was yeah. he's from south florida yeah i think uh, like maybe more palm beach area don't quote me but uh, he's from a little bit further up north from here but i wonder where we went um, to high school yeah. um so another thing that we have incredibly in common is our love for sade yes and so uh, Dave texted me like, I don't know, two weeks ago and was like, listen, I got you a really dope shirt. Yeah. And I was like, man, that's that's really fucking nice. Honestly, Dave is also the nicest neighbor I've ever had. <laughs> I have to say that. Nicest neighbor. That's that another uh, that's a southern hospitality thing. And I learned about that when I was in Virginia. It's a very it's very different here. But I appreciate you. Yeah. But uh, you text me like two weeks ago and like shit was crazy or whatever. So finally, I don't know, last week. Yeah. Um, I saw you outside. You were walking your dog or whatever. And it's like, yo, I'm going to get you your shirt. And the shirt is incredible. Yeah. Like, it's now 
officially in my top five favorite shirts that I own. Yeah. And it says... And we both own a lot of shirts. Yeah, I have a lot of shirts. Yeah. Uh, I actually love the shirt I'm wearing right now. But um, it's black, and it says, it's like gold print, right? Yeah, gold foil lettering. Gold. Like, yeah. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Gold foil lettering. It says, real men love Sade. Real men listen to Sade. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Real men listen to yeah. Sade. And as he wears a Sade shirt, yeah. we also vibe very heavily yeah. on our love for Sade. Told, I told Nick it's a power move, man. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, guess, I guess it's a power move. You know, and you also listen to a lot of old school R&B, which is also something yeah. that we get along with. Slow jams. Oh, slow yeah. jams. Yeah. <laughs> with the fist bump. Yeah. Slow jams all day. It's hard. What was it that you posted the other day? Like um, a remake that uh, Jodeci did or some shit? Uh, yeah, so it's it was um, I guess the it's Omar Williams, who's an R and B singer, but it was uh, him and then Raheem Devon, who's one of my favorite like R and B and soul singers. Um, him, Raheem Devon, Sean Stockman from Boys to Men, yep. and then at the end of the song is Cisco, who God, came Cisco. back the thong you know, song. Yeah, I mean, I guess. I would say Drew Hill, and let's just forget about the thong song. Oh, with the thong song. <laughs> the silver hair and everything. But, I mean, he always had the hair, but it's just, you know, everyone thinks of him for the thong song, and it's like, that almost kind of sucks, because especially when he was in Drew Hill, I mean, they had so much, like, the good music. The thong song you know? video at that point in our life yeah. was, like, softcore porn. Yeah, well, I was a little bit too young to fully appreciate it at the time. Not me. But I'm sure if, <laughs> I, if I put that video on and then put it on mute, I would enjoy it, you know, but, you know, yeah. I, it's, it's crazy. They still make music videos now, but like yeah. back then when you it watched was everything, them, yeah, it was everything. Yeah. Music videos were like, that was, it was exciting. Yeah. It was excitement. Yeah. Now I could give three fucks if someone has a music video. And most of them are just pointless, you know. I know, but back then there was a lot of like, you know, yeah. think about all the ludicrous uh, music videos. It's been like a million plus dollars on a music video just because yeah, if, if the music video would be such a huge thing of like, you know, okay, we release a single, got to release this music video. And if this music video is killer, that'll make the album do a lot better. Like it was so meaningful back then. And like, yeah. you know, the M MTV generation of like, just you had a killer music video that could make you go platinum, double platinum, whatever. And mean the difference between you making millions and millions of more dollars it's crazy you know I, now it's like they're almost an afterthought you know they're a super afterthought because it's more about like what your uh identity is on social media yeah than anything else so how long have you been in miami now so i started coming down here at the end of may um which is i guess right when things first started to open up a little bit more in terms of like limited dining in and all that good stuff and then I've lived down here officially with my wife and everything for about two months and some change now. I moved down in like mid-October. Nice. Yeah. And what's, how do you feel thus far? Love it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's good. It, it's different because it's like some, like a lot of people like that, you know, I've known since I lived in Virginia and like, oh, how are you liking it? And I'm like, oh, I love it. You know, and they, like a lot of people think Miami and they think like, partying clubs yeah, like yeah. all this other stuff where really a lot of that's like just not a part of my life i mean i'll pick the flanagans and coconut grove over any club that's right we live down the street man yeah. how how lucky are we to live down the street from flanagans flanagans is life it that's, is life that's like that's one of the first things that made me really fall in love with it down here is one of my clients uh 
they they were like, hey man, like you should check out Flanagan's. Like you're right down the street. It was from where I was staying. Yeah. And um, so yeah. I checked it out. I'm like, man, this place is dope. It's amazing. And, and then my wife, uh, when I first started coming down here, Richmond, Virginia was super locked down. So I'm just like, hey, like, you know, how about you and Jorge, my my dog? Is, your dog's name Jorge? Yeah, my dog's name is Jorge. Yeah. That's am- I didn't know your dog's yeah. name was Jorge. <laughs> when I when I, when, when when I was 20 years old, <laughs> and and I and I moved off campus. You know, I, I was supposed to have a roommate, but he told me, like, two days before the semester was supposed to start that he got, like, he got academically suspended from school. He wasn't coming back. So, I, I you know, I had an apartment to myself, you know. And uh, so I was in there for a little bit. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to get a dog, and I'm going to name my dog Jorge. And, but why uh, Jorge? I mean, I, I really, I only believe, I kind of believe in Spanish names for dogs. Like, really? I, I, don't, I wouldn't want to have a dog and just name it like a dog name. See, like, Nick you know? is adamant to not actually name a dog an actual name. Yeah. Yeah, no people name. Like, like, no people names. You have a dog named, like, Tank or Meatball or whatever, and that's cool. No, there's but, Petey. Yeah, that's awesome. Petey is an actual person name. Yeah. Well, but Petey, P-E-A-T-Y. No, I get it, but it's still, when you say it, people sounds don't know like that. Yeah, don't it sounds No, people don't know. It's more confusing than anything. Which sounds just like you. I'm very difficult. Yeah, I got it. So but, uh, you only name your dogs Spanish names. Uh, well, it's, it's not that... I, I mean, Jorge is the only dog that I've owned myself, oh. you know? And I've had him for a surprisingly long period of time. I just turned 33. had him since I was 20. He's oh, wow. He's 17 and a half. He's, like, super old. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I don't know. It's just, it's just kind of what made sense. I never really thought about wanting to name a dog like Tank or Prince or Coco or just any of that other Prince stuff. Prince is a good I, one, though. No, nah, Prince is great. I have a Purple Prince. Rain poster uh, <laughs> right as you walk into my house. And, um, and incredible. And I have several, like, Purple Rain-themed rash guards that I'll wear when I train jujitsu and stuff. Uh, just to, you know, strong vibes and stuff. <laughs> strong. You know? Make sure no one looks at you straight in the eyes. <laughs> yeah. Don't look at don't look at him straight in the eyes. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I just, I, I knew I wanted to get a dog and I wanted to name it Jorge. So I went to the SPCA and I was looking around for a dog that could be Jorge. And I saw my dog and I was like. <laughs> and he looked like a Jorge. I'm like. His name was Gizmo at the time because he has, like, those bat ears, like the gremlins, you know, from the yeah, movie. No. But I was like, yeah, that's a stupid name. Like, you're Jorge. I'm taking you home. You know? Yeah. I love that his name is Jorge. Yeah. I love yeah, that. He's a thug, man. I have him tattooed. I have him tattooed on my left sleeve right here. You do? Uh, oh, yeah. Look at that. That's a, Jorge. He's sitting on a pile of skulls. Yeah. So. Jorge on a pile of yeah. skulls. Yeah, he, he he he's a thug. When I was when I was 22, I was dating this chick at the time. She rode horses, and uh, yeah, um, equestrians, equestrian what sports. An, yeah, that's you know, uh, Averett, where I went to college, was an oh, yeah. equestrian school. Yes, yes. So I got my fair share oh, of the equestrians. Um, the uh, you know, she did that, and and she always wanted to take him to the barn, you know, like with her when she wanted to ride horses, and I was like, I was like, no, like. Or he's a house dog. He's a couch dog. He's never lived on a farm. He doesn't know how to act around animals. I love he, his name is Jorge. He's just oh, so yeah. good. He's, you know, so one day she takes him to the barn and, you know, no leash or anything. So he's just wandering, sniffing around. He's exploring. He's a smart, inquisitive Jack Russell, but just beefy, you know, and chill. Yeah. And uh, he's beefy. So he gets kicked in the face by a horse, you know, because he went into a horse stall. The horse got freaked out, kicked him in the face, and his left eye is all blue and milky because... His eye was actually hanging out of the skull 
spooked by like the oh nerve my bundles. God. And so she calls me and tells me what happened. And, and the way she was teeing it up, telling me what happened, I thought she was teeing it up to say, and then they had to put him to sleep. So I said some stuff that you should probably never say over the phone, especially not to a woman, but that's how I felt at the time, just because that's my well, dog. Jorge's life was in danger. Yeah. And, uh, but she was like, no, no, like he's okay. But I mean, half of his head was covered in like fractures, orbital cheekbones were just smashed. They put his eye back in, stitched it up, and I broke out the pimp wallet, which thankfully I was bartending at that time pre-smartphone, so I was making money hand over fist, and uh, so I could afford that. Most 22-year-old kids can't. Um, and, uh, you know, he healed like a champ, and, uh, you know, so Hori's a thug. And then when I met my uh, I met my wife, and she was my girlfriend at the time, I started to work on this sleeve from the bottom up, and then we covered up the half sleeves I had before. Um, she was like, man, you should really get Jorge on your sleeve, you know, before you run out of space. Like, that's your first dog. You that's should really great, do it. I'm, I may do that. Yeah. That's a great idea. Yeah. And so I... Not I, of Jorge, but, you know. Yeah, yeah, no. Yeah. yeah. your dog, yeah. No, not my current dog. My old dog. Oh, okay. Yeah, my old dog passed away when she was 18. Nice. She was like, she yeah. was such a... She's the best. You sure you don't want to do Quincy sitting on a pile of skulls? No. <laughs> no. You saw him running around the Capitol? Quincy, Quincy? on skulls. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was it. Yeah, Quincy was in the Capitol. He was yesterday. running around the Capitol, that fucking guy. <laughs> um, so you're, the company you work for is known for, and correct me if I'm wrong, I could totally be speaking outside of my ass right now, but uh, known for carrying some of the bigger names in, in the sport, yeah? Yeah, uh, we represent, you know, John Jones, who's one of the greatest fighters of all time. You know, I think a lot of people's perception of him is, you know, could possibly be tainted by some of the things that have gone on outside of the cage for him. But, you know, he's just undisputed one of the best to ever do it, if not the best. I mean, just he's been fighting at the highest level of sports since he only had a couple of fights. And his only loss, if you want to call it that, was a DQ that was super questionable. And he was obliterating his opponent in that fight. It was just like the ref never even gave him a warning for downward elbows. He just kind of almost immediately DQ'd him. Realistically, he's undefeated, but... We represent John Jones, Jorge Masvidal, Yoel Romero, uh, Paige Van Zant, who was one of the most popular female fighters in the sport. Um, uh, you know, a whole host of you know other you know big names. Demetrius Johnson, who's one of the best fighters pound for pound to ever do it. Who? Um, yes, Anthony Pettis. Yep, um, he just signed a very large deal with the PFL, Professional Fighters League, on ESPN. Um, you know, he's been with the UFC and then the WEC before that for the majority of his career. Um, so we represent a lot of the bigger names, of, you know, in the sport. You know, we have a lot of, you know, other fighters in the UFC. They're doing very well. Like, I mean, we have Derek Lewis, Jarzino Rosenstruck, like just, I mean, the list goes on. But um, a lot of what I do, um, you know, I, I've, don't get me wrong. I mean, it's awesome to have UFC champions and have champions in other high-level organizations. And, and that's that's the end goal, right? That's the end goal for everyone. You know, most guys will get into this and they'll want to, hey, I want to be a UFC champion. But, um, you know, I come from kind of the farm level of the sport first, just on the promotional side. So kind of running those regional organizations, you know, you have smaller ones, you have some kind of some, you know, mid-level ones. Like I said, it's kind of a tiered minor league structure like you have in baseball almost, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just instead of being a part of one system, like the UFC doesn't have their official farm system necessarily. It's all independently owned fight organizations that are kind of at varying levels in different markets below that. But um, I come from that first. So most people, the farm system to them is like this convoluted mess. It's really difficult. 
Um, whereas for me, it's like I come from that first. So the things that frustrate a lot of other people about, man, like, you know, I have my guys scheduled to fight on this smaller organization and that fight fell through. What am I going to do? I'm used to all that. So for me, like building talented prospects is really where a lot of guys get sidetracked. There's for every guy that makes it to the UFC, there's probably 50 other ones that could have potentially gotten there from a talent perspective, but you know, they were either mismanaged or just going at it themselves or whatever, made some of the wrong moves, took some bad fights. You know, people weren't paying attention to the matchups, and you have plenty of guys in the U.S. alone, much less when you talk about, you know, Latin America, Europe, Eastern Europe, you know, former USSR territories, Asia, whatever, that could have absolutely been at a UFC level. Mm. But they took some of the wrong fights early on, got very derailed, and then just never made it. Um, so for me, it, it's, it's always been kind of a big point of pride for me that like kind of my specialty and the thing that I enjoy most um, is uh, you know just really kind of taking a talented prospect who I know and I'm very confident like man this guy is going to be fighting at a high level Hmm. Um, and just taking them and guiding them through all that and getting them through kind of that convoluted like fucked up mess that is the farm system of fighting and uh, you know getting them to that point has always just been super rewarding it's like anyone comparatively anyway can go and you can sign a guy who's almost all the way there you know he's 8-0 9-10-0 already get him one more win sprinkle some fairy dust on him and if you got you know the contacts to do it you can get him into the UFC after that but I mean a lot of that was already done and that's also kind of a very rare occurrence you know mm. whereas if I can get a guy early on make sure that he's guided the right way takes the right fights his trajectory is well managed and you know everything like that's super rewarding for me and that's the shit that most people can't do I got a question Whoa, fuck, fuck me. And I, and I think that you might have interesting follow-ups because I think that there's there are ways to relate this to, to your business. What have you observed over your time uh, in the fight business yeah. about where and how fighters end up in different places, primarily gyms, but I imagine there might be other aspects of the business sure. that this affects uh, when it comes to there being a cultural fit, right? Mm-hmm. In any business... You have it's made up of people, and they behave yeah. a certain way, and they relate to each other a certain way, yep. and there's a way that they like to be around each other and with each other and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I'm curious about that because in team sports, like for example, especially here in Miami, right? Everybody's all about that, like the heat culture thing. Uh, Wait, why do you say it that way? No, it's not. It's not a the pejorative heat culture thing. It's not what a pejorative. I'm just saying. I'm, I'm just saying that people know what that means. The, the Sounds fact, like you're taking a dig. No, not at all. Like, okay. When you say that, people here know what that means. Okay. It means something very specific. Yeah. But in fight sports, the the gyms, which are the closest thing I mm-hmm. think to a team, sort of exist behind the scenes. They're not as forward facing. Although maybe that's changing over time. At least as a fan, I've noticed. Yeah, with some. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but. But talk a little bit about how the culture away from the cages sure. or the rings. Uh, yeah, I mean, you had kind of asked uh, about that, you know, before we got on here, just about, like, in, in general. It's it's different. So, obviously, gyms, you know, the culture in certain gyms, part of it's going to be, you know, a little. it'll vary a little bit by region. It'll also vary by, you know, who ownership of the gym who the main coaches are in there like what the overall team culture is like what the makeup of that team is like so it can really vary i mean one of the bigger bigger gyms in south florida and just in the world uh is american top team that's here in coconut creek you know florida um and before i started coming down to miami um 
when I started at FRM, I referred to South Florida. I had spent hardly any time in Miami at all, aside from maybe the odd fight show over the years. And I always was in like Fort Lauderdale and North, you know, so I referred to that as South Florida and I was almost never down here. Whereas now I'm almost never up there. Um, but you know, American top team is, I mean, that's the Taj Mahal of fight gyms in the world. Is it? I mean, you're talking about a facility now that they've built that is the size of a, a large target, probably bigger. Fuck. Um, huge. You know, I mean, like some guys will hunker down there during hurricanes because it's just built like that solidly. Um, just a massive gym, massive facility, everything all under uh, one roof. You know, strength and conditioning areas, you know, multiple extremely large mat spaces, private training areas, dormitories, showers, extra training spaces. Yeah, they have dorms upstairs there. Um, You know, that's kind of, um, I mean, like I said, it's the Taj Mahal of MMA gyms really worldwide. Um, And then, but you've also got several other large teams here, you know, for MMA. You've got, um, you know, now it's Sanford MMA, which is, you know, uh, supported by Sanford Medical. They're just a huge medical company out of the Midwest, uh, you know, that's another huge facility that's down here. I think they're in Deerfield. Uh, you've got MMA Masters down here in Miami, which is another huge MMA gym. Um, you know, Daniel Valverde and, uh, you know, Caesar, their, you know, main striking coach there. I mean, those guys are like OGs as well. Uh, Caesar was actually in um, Kickboxer, the movie. He was oh, yeah? the Capoeira guy. Yeah. Man. And um, so, Love that. yeah. And, um, but he's super legit. Uh, like, gangster you know it's uh they're they're really starting to get a lot more shine now um you know but they've always just been one of like the top gyms but i mean like i said i mean then you've got some other a lot of other gyms that might be a little bit smaller down here but south florida itself is just kind of a mecca for fighters both for mma and for boxing um but uh you know, it, the gym cultures can be different and part of it's regionally based you know uh there's other big you know teams that are in gyms that are, you know, up in the tri-state area that are, you know, uh, you've got Rufa Sport in Milwaukee. You've got several, you know, solid teams in the Chicago area. You've got a ton of, you know, solid teams in, you know, Texas, Arizona. You've got Jackson Wink in New Mexico. So in these bigger yeah. gyms, there's established names and then names coming up. Yes, And then names correct. nobody knows. Yes, yeah. How much does it cost to train at these gyms? It really varies. So, you know, you could say that your average dues, and, and most gyms, if you're coming up as, you know, your student, maybe you want to get into fighting and they're like, yeah, okay, buddy. Like we get plenty of guys who walk in here every week that say that the next world champion, you can sign up for a membership. You're going to pay a hundred something to maybe 200, 200 something bucks a month, just depending on the gym and whatever market it's in. And, you know, you start training, then you fight as an amateur. And then if you do well enough as an amateur, you know, you go up into the pro ranks and stuff like that then you know some gyms guys will still pay monthly dues and the lower percentage and some gyms if you're a pro and you're on the pro team you don't pay monthly dues anymore you just pay a percentage of your you know fight purse for fighting like your purse is your contracted pay for, for your fights um you'll just pay you know part of your fight purse um you know percentage wise to the gym in so you could just for your train training. there and then you gotta yeah Okay. And uh, so, you know, some gyms, uh, most all gyms do some combination of the two therein. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, 
I would say, you know, I mean, ATT is such a big gym here that, you, I mean, you know, you can go in there and there's like a hundred something plus guys just on the mat for pro training, you know, in certain sessions alone. I mean, it's just huge. So you have tons of Eastern European guys. You have guys coming over from Asia to train. You have guys coming from Europe, you know, guys from all over North America, Latin America. It's just, like I said, I mean, it's like, you know, it's the Taj Mahal of MMA gyms in terms of the facility itself. But, I mean, ATT itself is kind of a mecca for a lot of fighters. Like, guys come from all over the world to train in that gym. So, it's super diverse. It's such a huge team. They have a huge coaching staff, a lot of really great coaches of all disciplines. You know, they've got Steve Mako, who's one of the better heavyweight wrestlers in the modern era. He's the wrestling coach there. Um, you know, Mo Lawal, uh, who's a good friend of mine, too. Uh, in fighting, he's known as King Mo. Um, you know, another, you know, gangster collegiate wrestler who transitioned very successfully into fighting. Wrestling is crazy hard now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I found that not all wrestlers can transition into MMA and have a lot of success. But the thing is, like, wrestling as a sport is pure suffering. <laughs> and then your reward is actual competition. But the, like, uh, you know, I did it when I was younger and it's like football or lacrosse was fun and it was like a cool sport and then in between that because again i was horrifically terrible at anything basketball related so it was wrestling for me yeah i I wrestled in high school yeah wrestling is suffering it is uh, the like yeah the most helpless i've ever felt doing a sport yeah Yeah. i mean it's like because you know you have people that have been wrestling since they were a kid yeah and they absolutely just fucking annihilate And you're just like, oh, I'm in shape. I'm going to go do this. And then next thing you know, you're staring up at the ceiling and <laughs> it's over. It's over. You know? You just... what, what, what weight class did you wrestle? Uh, so in middle school, I started at 135. And then in high school, I ended up uh, at 189. Okay. Um, but towards the tail end of that, I just wrestled up and just didn't cut weight. And so I, I got to eat and actually lift weights during wrestling season to keep the weight on so I didn't have to be manorexic and hangry like yeah. most of the other guys I wrestled at 215 and it was just a dreadful idea yeah yeah it was like real bad you get some big dudes yeah once no. you get there it was um, even bigger yeah yeah bigger yeah. Yeah, that's a good way to put it uh I didn't win much yeah wrestling was always for me I I was never really that great at it it was just a placeholder between football and lacrosse um and uh but a lot of wrestlers have transitioned very well, like proportionally speaking. Uh, a lot of UFC and other high-level champions come from a wrestling background. You know, currently, um, I mean, going down the list, uh, the heavyweight champion in the UFC, former wrestler, um, 205 champion. I think uh, Jan wasn't, but John Jones was. You know, who he's moving up to heavyweight now, but I, you still kind of look at him as really the guy at light heavyweight collegiate wrestler you know um middleweight he's not a collegiate wrestler uh welterweight kamaru usman collegiate wrestler oh usman. We, watched, we watched one of that guy's fights huh. if it was the last one i apologize for having to subject yourself to that what, the, the foot stomp, that? the foot shot stomps and the shoulder bumps oh, was, that was just the, uh, the fight. but Oof. honestly i i mean yeah I, I don't know maybe different i'm sure different people appreciate different things in fights and, and maybe and maybe coming into it as Masvidal fans, I was just yeah. impressed with what he pulled off on somewhat short notice. Talking about Masvidal. Yeah, I mean, the, the uh, takedown by, defense was there. By somewhat it, six days. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> like, yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But the takedown defense yeah. was impressive. Yeah, I, yeah. 
it, it really was just a gas tank question, and that's what the six days notice has to do. I mean, everyone thought that he was going to get fucking mollywhopped. He was not mauled. The fact that it came, no. the fact that foot stomps were the story is yeah. a moral victory there. Yeah, yeah, it was a lot of foot stomps. It's like he, honestly, like, you know, Masvidal lost that fight on the scorecards, but right. the thing is, he actually came away, you know, with even more fans because of how his opponent fought and just, you For know, sure. kind of holding him against the fence, the foot stomps, the shoulder bumps, and just. If you put how Masvidal looked on six days compared to what he did, what. Usman did to Woodley and Covington. Get the fuck out of here. I mean, Masvidal yeah. looked like a monster. Yeah. I mean, like, and Masvidal really had nothing to lose there. If he wins no, that yeah. fight. It's legendary. I mean, he's, he's a legend. Yeah. If he loses, I mean, you only had six days to fucking prepare for yeah. it. So why yeah. the fuck not? It's win-win. Right. You know? Yeah, I mean, you know, the the idea of like, and I, I remember wrestling vividly. Yeah. Like vividly. It just, wrestling is a whole different type of mind frame. Yeah, you know, and I think that's why it translates a lot well, like well to yeah. If 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 you were able to get through that wrestling grind, training twice a day Man. in a combat sport yeah. by comparison is like not at all any kind of departure from what you're used to. If anything, a lot of guys have said it's easier, you know, comparatively um, in terms of the degrees of suffering. Um, yeah. You know, and the suffering is high. Man. Yeah, whereas you know some guys wrestling. coming maybe from a different athletic background than another sport. It's just not the same. Or some guys that maybe come in as a blank canvas, you know, maybe sports for them ended in high school. Then they walked into a fight gym in their 20s and just started fighting. You know, sometimes with some of those cats, you have to, you know, guys don't want to train. You know, they'll don't want to show up for the morning practices sometimes. They just show up to the stuff they want to do. Whereas, like, most wrestlers, um, they're just used to such a, like, training horrific level of grind that yeah. you know it's like okay i have to train twice a day and then a couple days a week add in some strength and conditioning there okay cool yeah you know it's just another day I, for them I, you know? I credit the two years i spent wrestling in high school mm-hmm. to a lot of my dedication to training period yeah because even when i went to like college football i was like yeah, yeah i mean this is not hard i mean it was hard but not hard yeah it's you like know? In, in wrestling is an individual sport. It's like, you know, you can't coast if you know you have a good team around you and, and right. whatever. I mean, you there's no plays off. There's no just chilling. If you're chilling and you're wrestling, you're just going to get ragdolled and embarrassed. Right. You know, and if you're not training, you're not in shape. You can't hide that. Right. Again, you're just going to get embarrassed and waxed pretty quickly. So it's, it's just different. You know, it's a different mindset that guys have. So, I mean, not to say that. There aren't guys, because there 100% have been guys who have come in, you know, to fighting as a total blank canvas. They just walked into a gym one day. You know, some guys came from zero athletic background of any kind, really, and then became world champs. But, you know, statistically, you know, if you're coming from a high-level wrestling background, I mean, I haven't crunched the numbers, but you have a much higher chance of actually really having success in the sport. I would say if you if you put it up against other fight disciplines i'm willing to bet that wrestlers there are more belts won by wrestlers people who started with wrestling yes than any other discipline yeah 100 percent. yeah yeah and 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 a lot of guys you know some of the fan favorites like a guy like chuck liddell you know who is a you know big name that helped kind of elevate the sport you know with his rivalry with tito ortiz and stuff a lot of people didn't even know that chuck liddell was a division one wrestler um at uh, it was like Cal Poly San Luis Obispo or whatever, but he was a, a solid Division One wrestler. But the thing is, he came in with that wrestling background and then really took to kickboxing, and so you know he was able to actually you know become this fan favorite you know gangster striker you know for his time and um, super exciting. But the thing is, when you're coming in 
with a high-level wrestling background, you're confident in that. Whereas you have guys who crossed over into MMA from world-class striking backgrounds. They're decorated boxers, decorated kickboxers, decorated Muay Thai, you know, fighters and stuff. But the wrestling isn't there, so they can't strike to even a decent fraction of their potential, and they can't do what they want because they're a lot more tentative because just the wrestling and the grappling isn't there, and, and they fight tentatively because of that because they're scared of the takedown. Um, whereas like a lot of wrestlers have actually turned into very good strikers for MMA because they don't have that same fear or reservation. They can just go in. And so a lot of the knockouts that have happened in the modern era, um, you know, the sport, a lot of the, a lot of those guys, you know, whether it's punches, knees, head kicks, whatever, a lot of those guys were wrestlers first. But again, it just gives them an extra degree of confidence going in. And I don't know whether I, I don't have any background to know whether this is true or not, but I've heard sort of the inverse point about not guys who are in Muay Thai or, mm-hmm. or but people who are point fighters. Because when you're a point fighter, you sort of train your body and your and your brain to do all these risky movements that if you're more for example, if you were a Taekwondo guy. Yeah. Now yeah. You, you're you're not gonna not train anything other than Taekwondo and come yeah. in and, and you know win a whole lot. But if you started with Taekwondo and you get used to fucking wheel kicks and spinning back kicks that other people might be more tentative about because they're used to being worried about different shit. But if you, is, is there any sort of validity to that idea that if you start there and you sort of get that out of your system and you train that stuff without all that concern and then you bring in the other disciplines? I mean, it just really depends. I mean, th- don't get me wrong. There are guys like Leota Machida for a while. He had a ton of success because he was very hard to figure out. I mean, it's like a lot of gyms, you can't train a lot of guys don't just don't even have the training partners to really effectively even replicate a high level you know taekwondo style or or depending on a high level extremely high level you know muay thai style or whatever the case may be like a lot of guys just can't you can't replicate that much less actually really prepare for that you know uh, leota machida did you know you know you're coming from a, a a background like that karate taekwondo since when you were a little kid you know, if you have an 8, 10, 12-week training camp, even if you have some training partners that might have a Taekwondo background, you have a coach that comes in that maybe might help you, you're not going to replace a lifetime worth of training and experience in the space of a couple months, you know. So it's a lot of guys that come from that background, it can be very hard for people to figure out. I mean, you know, every fighting style has its pros and cons, and if you successfully incorporate you know, whatever striking background you may have come into with everything else. A lot of those guys have had success, but um, there are guys who've done very well, maybe not quite as well as some like karate and taekwondo guys, but there have been guys who've who've been kind of a problem, um, you know, that come from like even a capoeira background because they can just do some things that, again, you just can't prepare for. You're going in, a lot of guys go into an MMA fight, and when it comes to striking, they're kind of prepared for traditional pro-style striker. You know, you've got punches, kicks, you know, basic Muay Thai concepts are in there to varying degrees. And, you know, when a guy's just throwing capoeira kicks and just throwing stuff from angles that you're just totally not even prepared for, some guys just get caught with some Who's of the... this, this, oh God, what's his name? This lunatic Brazilian who's doing all kinds of flips and shit all over the place. Um, the last couple of years for him have been huge. He's been like jumping and he's been like, uh, kicks off the cage and he. Oh, um, yeah. So you're talking about, God, what's um, his name? He's like uh, he's a, Michel he's, Demolador Pereira. Yes. Or maybe it's Pajeda if in yeah, Portuguese. That's the yeah. guy that I watch and I think, yeah. who's the training partner? 
that you bring in to replicate. You don't you know, have you one. Know, you know what's, what's interesting? <laughs> yeah. I was talking to my boxing coach this this week just because I was frustrated with my last sparring uh, yeah. session, and he was like, you know, to even become somewhat adept to using a movement in an actual hand-to-hand combat situation, you need to spend at minimum a thousand hours on that movement. And I was like, that's a lot of fucking hours of training. So imagine something like MMA that is all these different things, how many hours you need to spend to just defensively be able to combat any of those things. Like boxing, I mean, you know, we know the traditional things that happen. Essentially six punches and different movements. Right. And, and all, albeit and, you could come at them with like different combinations sure. or different yeah. angles or whatever yeah. it may be. but Different variations of those six punches. but Different variations, but there are six punches. Yeah. And that's pretty much it. So imagine when you start to encompass all these different types of hand-to-hand combat. It's like I couldn't imagine a thousand hours of defense on one movement to stop one thing. Yeah. And, and you see it in fights sometimes um, where guys, you can tell, haven't prepared for certain things. Like uh, when guys come up as amateurs, you know, different states have varying, um, you know, amateur rule sets. Whereas like the pro rule set in most places tends to be pretty uniform. Um, so, you know, in some states like in Virginia, the difference between amateur and pro MMA is that the, as an amateur, the rounds are three minutes as opposed to five and you don't get paid. Other than that, it's <laughs> well, pro that's rules. that's a big difference. You know, so elbows, knees to the head, head kicks, no shin guards, everything. Whereas in other states, you know, amateurs, their first couple fights, there's no ground and pound, like punches on the ground. Uh, or maybe there's no ground and pound to the head. And then, you know, you have to wear shin guards. And then in some states, they don't allow head kicks or knees to the head or elbows. Um, and, uh, you know, years ago, I had a fight between a guy who came up in Virginia who's an undefeated amateur um, also undefeated in Muay Thai coming up as an amateur he came from a gym Disciple MMA that has a very strong you know Muay Thai base you know like the owner Scott Howard's like a very good friend and mentor of mine um, you know OG Muay Thai guy so you know his guys from the minute they start training Muay Thai are ripping elbows knees the clinch is very strong um, and uh, he fought a guy who didn't come from a gym that really put that kind of emphasis on like actual real Muay Thai so you know a lot of guys that just maybe they were fighting in a different state like Pennsylvania or some other places you know they go pro they've never been hit with an elbow they've never been hit with a knee to the head much less you know really trained for it because it's just not a thing so you spend years getting programmed into fighting for a certain rule set that then all of a sudden you go pro and that's done but the guys are still fighting like amateurs. And I remember, uh, you know, it was a good back-and-forth fight. They were, both had very good amateur records. But, uh, you know, in that in that fight, you know, it was a very good back-and-forth fight for most of the first round. But then towards the end, um, you know, the guy that had a very extensive Muay Thai background, Pablo Garcia, you know, he had, a, again, he had a lot of Muay Thai experience. So towards the end of the first round, he hits this guy right in the face. Like, right, I think it's like the eyebrow area just rips an elbow and just hits him. And then rips him with another elbow. And, like, the guy kind of, like, you know, staggered, backed off a little bit. And it's like those memes that you see where they post, like, a photo silhouette uh, where it's, like, the soul is, like, leaving a guy's body, like, when he gets knocked out. And you could just watch. Like, you could watch the dude's soul and his will just kind of float out of his body. And he went back to this corner. You know, they went out for the second round. But, like, I could just tell even between rounds because it was a show I was running. I was cage side for it. I'm like, this fight is over. 
like that dude's done like the lights are on no one's home he's gonna come back out and then you know he came out and got crushed in short order pretty much right after that uh, i'll back out after this question dude but i just feel like it's a good thing. no listen freedom I mean, you, bear podcast you, you you mentioned that that you started watching this mma stuff yeah. through me yeah i'm one because you've seen many many times more yeah than i have is if if you've never watched mma yeah what are like are there two or three fights that come to mind that like if this doesn't make a fan out of you then you're not going to be one sure that you could go back and watch yeah th- there's a couple different ones that i would say so a lot of the ones that people think about you know one of them is like stefan uh bonner versus forrest griffin uh that was on the ultimate fighter finale of season one of the ultimate fighter which was you know really kind of helped elevate the ufc and kind of take it to that next level really got it out there and i mean uh, you know everything was showcased in that fight but i mean that was just a back and forth war just a total brawl like these guys just you know really just like beat each other up the entire time foot on the gas the entire time balls to the wall it was just an amazing back and forth fight you know in in that show you know the winner gets a six-figure contract you know but the, the fight was so great that the ufc awarded stefan bonner who lost the fight by decision they awarded him a contract too like it was just it was that level of fight like the people were calling each other like dude are you watching this fight like you've got to tune in like this is crazy and um you know that's the fight that really kind of helped you know a lot of people would point to you know that helped elevate the ufc and then mma by extension um, you know, to kind of like that next level, it started to gain a lot more like real, like legit mainstream traction from then. Um, and, you know, it's like, I mean, obviously, like the, even though they were all pretty one sided until the last one when they were both way too old to still be doing it, you know, some of the Tito Ortiz, Chuck Liddell fights, you know, were, yeah, yeah. And uh, those, um, you know, it was a pretty violent finish. But again, if you can't be a fan of that, then maybe MMA is not for you. But, uh, Edson Barboza versus Terry Edom, where he got that spinning wheel kick knockout, where he hit the, the dude with a spinning wheel kick, and the guy knit, knit, like immediately stiffened up and just fell to the ground. Like, just um, those are a couple fights that, like, if you, you know, Jorge Masvidal's flying knee knockout of Ben Askren. I mean, granted that was you know less than ten seconds, but again, if you can't enjoy that, I mean, then it's just maybe not for you. And that Barboza fight had one of the better. Uh, was it? Was that? Rogan's call, where like the the you might get knocked out, was like very perfectly yeah, yeah. timed. And then it was just also like, one of the better like sports calls, yeah, of all time. Like yeah, very serendipitous. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, was yeah. it why? Well, because the uh, Rogan is cage side and he's commenting eh, something along the lines of like yeah. you know you never know with this guy if you're not you know careful you might get and then as he's saying knocked out. Barboza throws this spinning wheel kick to the guy's head and the guy stiff as a worm. Yeah. He was never the same after that. Yeah. Yeah. So, as far as sports calls go, yeah. nice little coincidence. Right yeah, I have to hear it. I've never heard it. Yeah. Really poses the question, what do you want to do? Do you right. want to take a chance and risk getting knocked out? Oh, my God. Oh. Wow. Wow. I mean, there's there's so many good fights. I mean, I, I've seen great fights you know, on local shows that most people never see that were just out of this world amazing. Seen plenty of fights at a high level, too, that are just phenomenal. I mean, uh, the other one, too, is um the... Robbie Lawler versus Rory McDonald. Uh, that was just an amazing fight, like uh, title fight, and in between the 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 set, it was like in between the f- like the fourth and fifth round. You know, these guys are having an absolute war. Like 
Robbie Lawler's lip was split up to here. Roy McDonald's face is just all bloody. The round ends, and instead of going back to their corners immediately and going to their coaches, have the cut man come in and work on you, they're both just staring at each other. So uh, a, more of a business question. Yeah. What do you see the future business-wise of that sport going to? I mean, I know that it's grown to a pretty monumental state, yeah. but you know, your job changed in the last six months, mm-hmm. kind of like the things that you're seeing. Yep. Uh, kind of landscape of sports that's right now. Yeah. What do you foresee for the future? Man, I mean, that's tough. I mean, I, I think a, a good bit of that can depend on how things go with the government, both at the federal and local levels a lot of the time. Um, I mean, a lot of people don't really realize this, but, you know, sporting events as a whole have taken a huge hit this year, just like some For other, sure. you know, the hospitality sector, just everything else, like certain businesses were Anything hit. that's like yeah. uh, people, events, yeah. group-based. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, so what a lot of people don't know is that I'd say still 70-plus percent or more of the country is a no-fly zone for the farm system for fighting right now like in most states in the country still there are no shows operating you know at the kind of lower to mid levels which is you know what that does to a sport over time when you have a a, such a huge interruption of the farm system i mean the consequences of that last for years because it's not just like you have certain pros in certain areas that can't fight you know or, or it's harder for them to get fights especially good ones um you know the amateurs can't go too because some states they allowed events to open for fighting because okay we have to let pro sports come back because it's you know it's guys livelihoods it's the business of sports so the 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 loophole for pro fighting to resume you know came because they have nfl teams and other major league sports teams that had to come back but there's no amateur stuff so i mean right now i mean you know i'm fortunate to be down here for a variety of reasons but um you know in florida they were the first state. I mean, the UFC started here, here. before they yeah. were able to actually do the events at their own facility in Vegas, you know. Um, and Florida was the first state to allow fighting events to come back. Um, and then, by extension, most of the southeast is kind of back online. You know, Florida, Georgia, South Carolina, Tennessee, minus some local areas, Mississippi, Alabama, Texas, Kansas, um, South Dakota. Some events in Iowa have come back. South um, Dakota. Yeah, South Dakota, yep. Wow. Um, and uh, one of the best, uh, one of the top kind of upper mid-level organizations, the LFA in the sport, they did a bunch of their events. They homesteaded at an arena in uh, Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Um, I got recruited by a college in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Nice. And their recruitment letter was like a postcard, and it had a lot of snow. And I was like, nah, bro. (laughs) (laughs) Nah, I'm good. That's, That's the one thing I miss about being down here is I actually like the snow. I like the winter. Some I like the snow cold. is fine. Yeah. But South Dakota snow, yeah. not fine. But, but then at the same time, like, you know, I walked to Thanksgiving dinner at <laughs> your restaurant yeah, from my house here in Coconut Grove right. wearing shorts and a t-shirt and sandals yeah. rocking my Birkenstocks, you know? Yeah. And I'm just like, man, this is fucking amazing. Like, where David else? spent some big events here. Uh, his birthday, yeah. uh, Thanksgiving. Yep. You know, I, I'm honored. I really am. Yeah, it's like it was just, uh, I don't know, when I when I was driving down here to start at FRM, you know, I was my wife, you know, was in the car with me, so was my dog, and, um, you know, I'm telling my wife, oh, you know, I'll go back and forth for a while, like, 
I'll never leave Richmond, you know, but then Richmond stayed pretty locked down. You know, the sports, as far as events goes, I don't even know when they're going to come back to the Mid-Atlantic region, to be perfectly honest. Um, thank you. And, uh, you know, but then I came down here, and as luck would have it, you know, my wife found a hotel for us to stay in that was super dog-friendly right here in Coconut Grove on Tiger Tail. For Jorge. Yeah, for, for Jorge, yeah. yeah. For Jorge the Jorge to get, get To get acquainted with the jungle. And so, uh, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and I, dude, I just fell in love with it. You know, like I fell in love with the area here just in Coconut Grove. And then I discovered Flanagan's, which is just amazing. <laughs> and you had a great and, neighbor. Yeah, yeah. I got a great neighbor. I mean, one of 12. Here's, here's, <laughs> here's, here's one thing that a lot of people like. Like Flanagan's, like the the food's great. Yeah, uh, chicken sticker dinner all dope. day. Um, you know, when I was here by myself after my wife went back to Virginia, I mean, I would eat at Flanagan's like four or five nights a week after work, so I would just work super late. Uh, when I got coronavirus, could have potentially been from there. Who knows? But that you know, I, I was going there all the time. You know, then then when I recovered from the Rona and I came back down to Miami. The first night I was back, went right back to the same Flanagan's in Coconut Grove, just because it's awesome. It but, is awesome. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite We've things. We've talked about yeah. this. Like, I don't yeah. have cable, so I'll yeah. walk down there to just watch a game. Uh, I love, now, you know, Flanagan's, some other places, they'll have certain genres on the TouchTunes jukebox blocked off. And I understand. Oh, this is good. You know, I remember you told me yeah, this story. Like, you know, it's it's because if I was in a different mood or whatever, like I might be an asshole. And like, you know, you don't want some dude playing like 40 bucks worth of death metal in a restaurant because, I mean, I enjoy it, <laughs> you know, but most other people wouldn't. And, you know, again, it's like like in the past, like people would come up to me back when you had to physically go up and select your music at the jukebox. Yeah, but you would do it on your phone. Apps. You know, and so guys would come up and I'd be playing just a ton of slow jams and shit in the bar that I was at because that's just, you know, when I drink, I want to listen to slow jams. And just Amen have to time. that. Sade, uh, Jodeci, yeah. all yeah. the Cisco, oh, yes. yeah. Drew Hill. Yeah. I get Drew, it. I know. Yeah. But, you know, shy. Yeah, that. shy, man. Oh, like, oh, that's that's another good one. Uh, like off of that same album, you know, everyone thinks of just like the one song by, from Shy, but there's another there's an interlude that has like gnarly, you know, like a gnarly sax solo in it and, and but it the song's called sexual and then there's sexual parentheses interlude before that it's amazing yeah like, yes yes my man so oh it's it's so good but uh at at, at flanagan's yeah oh it's so good but uh the uh you know they're they they, they they have, you know, you can't get Jodeci, you can't get some of my other favorite slow jams, but they have a lot of Sade. And then oh, they, 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 the, the new, one of the new Raheem Devon albums snuck in there. There's some other good ones. Um, so, you know, especially because at that, you know, Flanagan's down here with the jukebox is totally different. Oh, yeah. Is it, music a, is it ever than up north? Than any, anywhere else, you know? Tell me how is it different? Uh, oh, I mean, you know, one, you'll have the Eagles, and then the next you'll have like, fucking reggaeton or just some other shit that like yeah. is just like you don't hear and then you can't wait places. to like get on there and be like play next and, something yeah. better and than then reggaeton. you'll get some dudes who think it's funny to start playing like lady gaga or just like some other like just horrifically terrible shit um and uh, i mean i respect her music and, and maybe that was a bad okay but if you're a grown man and you go into a jukebox and you in a bar and you play taylor swift no but um, listen yeah, there's been plenty awesome. of times that like yeah. there's a bunch of fucking Douchebags in a bar, and I'll be like, you know what? I'm just gonna, I'm gonna go Britney Spears play next. 
jukebox. I'm gonna put seven dollars worth of Hoobah Stank in it. Put forty bucks on my Touch Tunes account. Yeah. Shade, 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 yeah. Shade. Hit him Raheem with Devon. Yeah. Shade, Shade, Shade. Like you are gonna listen unless you want to. It's beautiful. Like it's like a jukebox is like a microcosm of capitalism. I've like explained <laughs> this to people before. <laughs> like you know, because like, people would come up and be like, man, why don't you play so- something that other people want to hear, like some rap or whatever? And I like rap if it's like Big Pun or Most Def or sh- shit like Amen that. Amen to that. Of, most of the newer stuff, it's just not for me. But um, you know, I'm just like, listen, bro. Like, if you want to hear that, you know, if, if you know, put if, your money up. Yeah, and, and spend some money, change your surroundings. Otherwise, you can listen to my shit. And you're going to listen to slow jams unless you want to spend even more money to fast pass me and play your shit above mine, yeah. which that's great for the restaurant. Then they make more money. Touch Tunes makes money. I mean, it's I, I know that you're you know? rather new here, but yeah. back uh, before things were less weird, yeah. I would go to Churchill's and Churchill's has one of those Touch Tones things and it would be like, it would be like that. There was yeah. a bunch of fucking... Yeah. You know, ratchet ass people, and then I would go in and I would start playing like Sade, or I would start playing like some old Marvin Gaye, yep. and I would start playing like some shit, and people were just like, "What the fuck is this?" Yeah. And I'm like, "This is good music." Well, yeah, w- welcome. Well, like I used to go to, I like going to like kind of like uh, they don't exist here, but like like kind of redneck hole in the wall or like they exist, dive bro. bars. You gotta go. You gotta bars. go north of Broward, but yeah, they yeah. exist. But I'm saying here, yeah, in South Miami. There's no redneck dive bars, to my knowledge. I, I don't. I don't know. We'll go to Seven Seas one night. Right, right. We'll go to Seven Seas. We'll hit up the karaoke night. Yeah, I mean, bikers. That's different. But oh man. But I like to go to a place like that, where it's like country music, Leonard Skinner, whatever. And I'm like, all right, I'm gonna play fifty bucks worth of slow jams and metal just to see how uncomfortable <laughs> everyone gets. And they get real uncomfortable. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, and and some of the jukeboxes that don't have the override. That prevent you from playing the same song over and over again. That's the best. I played, um, I played, bump, I played bump and grind. Ooh, in, that's a good one. Uh, yeah. pr- prior to the documentary that came out, you know, right, right, yes, we, we, no one was I aware. I don't play that anymore. But, uh, but you know, when I was 22, I played at this bar in Fredericksburg called Spirits. I played bump and grind. It was like 13 or 14 times in a row. And so the first couple times people thought it was funny. And then, you know, you have the pause and it's like, my mind's telling me no. <laughs> and like, and dudes would get so pissed. And like me and my boys are just sitting there like dying and stuff. One dude got so pissed he threw his glass of beer at the wall and it like shattered. And he like ran out. And I was just like, yes. Yeah, like, Virginia is a special place. Yeah. Though, huh? Yeah. I mean, I, I experienced some very special moments there that I'll never forget. No doubt. But, I, I mean, Richmond was uh, more cultured than Danville. I'll tell you that much. No doubt, yeah. Yeah, like m- much, much more so. But, oh, man, where do we go from here? I feel like we've we've gone the gauntlet of, of uh, hand-to-hand combat to Sade to, uh, to being my neighbor and what that's let's, like. Let's talk about, like, music and bar stories and stuff. So, here, yeah. so have you given thought to your Patreon-only question? Um, I was considering doing a thing like I did last time. Okay. But I haven't put any thought into Meaning it. Meaning no. <laughs> Which is fine. So listen, I'm going to leave it in your hands. You you get there when you get there. <laughs> right. I actually have a question. Oh, Ooh, yeah. The tables have... Who's driving the bus now? So... Yeah, Popcorn I, Podcast featuring... Uh, starring... Dave. Dave yeah. I... Yeah. Like, I... Uh, you know, coming from Richmond, it's like prior to coronavirus anyway, like there's a great art scene, great live music scene. The metal yeah. scene was dope. 
You know, I mean, it's like a lot of people would look at me and they'd assume I'm like really into metal, which I am. But I was, you know, slow jams, fucking R&B, soul, jazz. All I, that. Lie, I, love I was it. shocked. Yeah. It's like you like Sade as much as I do. Yeah. This yeah. is amazing. I mean, you, you probably hear it if you're awake in the morning. You probably hear it. But, uh, you know, at no, least you know when I'm walls in... are concrete right? I barely hear shit. Ah, OK. Well, then, I mean, it's not not the worst thing. But I mean, I Sade is my alarm clocks when I wake up in the oh, morning. Nice. And I just I'll ch- change the songs up sometimes, you know, just to kind of vary it. But and then when I like I, I shower, if I can go in and open my window when I, while I shower, and I just listen to like my Sade playlist and stuff, just to start every day like the right way, you know. It's a good way to start. It's the good day, vibes, you know. If she only knew how much she influenced people like us. Yeah, like one day Nick will get her on the podcast. Oh, that'd be highly oh, man. But uh, we're gonna do that. I, yeah, fuck Addy. Like, <laughs> we're gonna do that coming but, from. You know, going to like going to shows in Richmond is just a big thing, right? It's like yeah. a big part of my life. I mean, it'd be a random Tuesday, and there'd be just an amazing metal show that I wouldn't even know about, and I'd see it on Instagram, and I'd hit my wife like, "Hey, babe, like, drop me off at the Broadberry. I'm gonna go see this metal show, and I'll Uber home at the end of the night when you know, because I'm definitely not driving in that state." But uh, what's like? I mean, I know that prior to coronavirus, like the live music scene had to be great down here. I just great, great is a strong word. I okay. feel like. <clears throat> and I think that we will see it in the future, and I think it was starting to take a, a bit of a swing because mm-hmm. people were looking for it more, but I yep. don't feel like there was... A, and I think, actually, Carlubo could say a little bit more about this because he knows more about the music scene here than I do, but... It, there, there are some good venues that... Um, the Band Show is one of my favorite venues band to show, watch live music. Uh, in Little Havana, we had, it really depends also... I'm talking about live music in general, not a specific genre. Sure. Because if you're looking for... Metal like music. No, no, no. But just Miami. music in general. The yeah. Music in general, like in Little Havana, they had a lot of venues that are still kind of not functioning at a hundred percent. Sure. Um, in the downtown area, there were also some live music venues that are still not up and running. That's as of right now. Uh, the places that were open before, some I think, have gone defunct. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, live music in Miami isn't. Uh, it, it could be better. It could be better. <laughs> I, I I am a, a humongous proponent of live music here. Yeah. I've done a lot of shows with a lot of local local bands that kind of mix uh, funk and Latin music together. I, you know, and, and uh, not to interrupt you, no, but no, no. I think a big part of the reason why the live music scene has been so... I'd say like has hasn't really hit the needle is because mm-hmm. there's so much varying music here that sure. people want to listen to, right? So yeah. it's like it's they want to listen to like live driven kind of place, you know. It's sadly, that sadly that is true, and because style. no one actually spins a record anymore, very yeah. rarely do they actually spin a record. But what I'm saying is, is like people want to listen to Spanish music. Some like next to no one wants to listen to jazz music except for me. Right, oh, and, like, and you, yeah, 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 you're new. Look, yeah. there are some places. So the corner, downtown. yeah, no, the the, the corner, the corner, uh, Lanyap, 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 Lanyap does uh, Le Chat Noir, also yeah. downtown, which is like a, it's it's one of the few places that's that's has a basement. Barmelly, Neme, Neme, and uh, Neme Gastro Pub. Uh, yeah, those are, these are all places that. You can go listen to some really cool jazz. Actually. But then, but then you'll you'll get the the bigger venues like Ash. Right, uh, the Art Center. Sorry, Art Center. The Art Center. When yeah, the, and and then the the Black Box in Wynwood that'll play right. like you know Bay New Deco Park. Yeah, New Deco Ensemble, and then uh, 
the band show and they'll, they'll get bigger shows like Miami is attracted to the bigger names right mm-hmm. the, yeah. the underground like when I worked at Cyprus we would go every Monday to jazz night at Churchill's and I know Churchill's is ratchet but they did they did jazz night every fucking yeah, Monday I've, I've heard of Churchill's pub because I would it's see it's amazing well yeah. you especially because if you're into oh man you're you, into metal yeah. you would love that's it that's the I mean, that's where you go. There and Las Rosas and Winwood. Well, Las, Las Rosas. Rosas. I know yeah. a lot of people. Who are Las Rosas. But but you know, like uh, for for metal anyway. Church, yeah, well, that's where. You, yeah. One night, randomly, Those are the places to go. We were like, let's go to Churchill's. Yeah. And it was in the middle of Screamfest, and I had no idea what that meant until I had arrived. And when I arrived, it was quite the experience. Like the, the level of partying that happens down here is just, you know, I like to turn one on every so often, but like that, I'm just not at that level. And you're seeing, you're seeing Miami for like, essentially closed. Yeah, I mean. Have you ever gone to the corner at 7 a.m.? I don't know what that is. Mm. That's the corner bar. You would rather it, it enjoy the corner, at, I think. It closes cool. like at 9. No, it closes at 8, 8 a.m. It could close whenever because it, it, it can be open for 24 hours. It's in a special entertainment district. That's why uh, nice. Club 11 is open 24 hours. Uh, but they don't. They can technically close whenever they want. But they they'll close at 9 a.m. on a on the weekends or 10 a.m. from the night before. So you can show up at 7 a.m. and it's still open, still have a I, beer. C- I celebrated my birthday there six years ago. We were there till 7:30 in the morning. Quarter of a lot of memories. When Small I bar. yeah yeah. When I talk. when I started to come back down here, uh, and like after uh, my wife stayed down here for like the first maybe two weeks and change that I came down here initially in like the end of May. Because, again, where we were at in Richmond was super locked down. So she's like, I was like, well, why don't you just come with me, you know. But she went back up to Virginia, went to see her parents in North Carolina on the way. So I went to stay at an Airbnb, like in a guest suite at a house in Coconut Grove, like further down Tiger Tail. And so, you know, the first um, the first week I'm staying there, you know, it's getting later in the week. And it was, a, you know, like a Cuban couple. They were really cool. Uh, they own the house. Real cool, like, Spanish, like, courtyard-style house with a pool in the courtyard, like, fully screened in. It was, like, an awesome place. So they come up and they're like, hey, David, um, you know, we're going to have a party this Friday and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, cool. Like, this is your house. Do whatever you want. Like, I'm, I'm chill, you know, whatever. And uh, then, like, you know, so, you know, again, it's like I'm, uh, you know, I'm not really fluent in Spanish. I'm understanding a lot more now. But, like, you know, I'm, like, I'm pale as hell, but I'm actually Spanish and Puerto Rican. But, like, my family's originally from New York. I don't speak, like, fluent Spanish like that. But, um, you know, so, you know, the, um, you know, the lady, you know, said something to her boyfriend and stuff. And I was, like, I kind of didn't really track it. And, uh, you know, he's like, oh, well, what I mean to say is um, we're going to have, like, a speakeasy here. I was like, okay, cool. Yeah, like, whatever. And they're like, oh, but you'll drink for free. Like, no worries. It's all good. So I was like, all right, you know, I'm like, cool. Like, that'll be interesting, you know, because again, all the clubs are shut down. There's like a 10 p.m. curfew. Like, so everything was like, that was when it was like still really super strict. And uh, so, I mean, man, that place was packed. I mean, they were charging a, a very staggering amount of money to even get in. They had a cash bar in there. They were having like legit DJs coming in performing. And like, it was my first, um, you know, like I, I would just, I mean, I would drink until the sun came up there because if I wasn't going to do that, everyone else was going to. And so I just figured, Hey, like I'll just join them. And I met a lot of cool people. And, um, 
kind of, uh, you know, I found out from some of my clients down here that are friends that maybe my experience and just like the overall experience there was not necessarily completely normal and typical. But, um, you know, I was just like, man, there is, uh, there's a lot of, a lot of nose candy down here. Like I've never been anywhere where there was that much. And, and then uh, it was just wild, dude. It's like, you know, and, like, and and I and I. Always, it's not my thing, but teach their own. It's I don't do that at I, all. But I get I, I mean, get pissy because people always relate uh, Scarface in Miami like a thing, and yeah. it's just like, you know, yeah. there is a lot more than what I've experienced and, and, in other parts of the country. It's just and, fucking true. And, and when I came back down to Miami, uh, like I, I got coronavirus like at the end of June, kind of felt a little under the weather for like a little over like a week and some change, and you know, then once I recovered, I came back after a couple weeks. And, uh, you know, so my, again, my, my first night back, I go to have dinner at Flanagan's because, you know, like, that's Amen just, to that. you know, and, uh, <laughs> you know, so, and I, I, I go in, I go in the bathroom and, you know, I'm, I'm like, I'm in a stall and, you know, like a couple dudes go into the stall next to me and I, you know, start to hear what one of my boys, like Mark calls the concerto. And, uh, I'm just like, you know, you hear some snorts and stuff and I'm like, I am back in Miami again. Yeah. And welcome back. <laughs> just like man it's it's like and, and whatever i mean teach their own again not my thing at all if that's what you want to do and it doesn't negatively impact your life or other people great do what you want but um it, it's just i would say that compared to anywhere else i've ever been much less lived uh it's it's just a little different man it, it's i've never been in a place where it's just out to like that degree my pop said that uh me too he thinks that part of the reason why I like it down here so much is that, you know, it's like hundreds of years ago, like all of South Florida, there were just like various like kind of havens, pirates and just other people oh, that man. would just hide out. Yeah. And he, he does some business down here and stuff. And he's just like, yeah, and some of those people's descendants are still there. And then you deal with them in business. And <laughs> yeah. it's just crazy. And I'm just like, oh, I love it. Like, it's just it's especially when i came down in most other parts of the country in like the height of like everything's super locked down and everyone's like extra strict and stuff and, and i understand i understand the reasoning behind a lot of that stuff and whatever and that's a whole separate can of worms but to come down here and there's like a very like prevailing like anti-authoritarian sentiment down here like people don't give a fuck meet your neighbor yeah yeah exactly and i'm just yeah. like that's cool like people question <laughs> some things and there's people, a grain yeah. and then there's a grain yeah, against and, a grain and, and you know people yeah and i i love the people who talk shit about down here yeah it's only because they can't hang yeah. down here. Yeah, it's, it's just it's, the, the honest truth. They they I mean, talk shit because they can't hang. When, they like that fundamental, yeah. everyday kind of like thing. And Miami is every day. It's a little bit different. Uh, it's also too like it's just I don't know like the the vibe down here is totally different. Um, it's just such a like a, a diverse place. It feels really good to like live in a place where I'm surrounded by Latino people again. Like it's just it feels like home. And not only are you surrounded, man. This is yeah, like, and, and <laughs> it's all four walls. Yeah, it's and, all, it doesn't matter and, which kind of Latino you're talking about. And we're all here. You know, it's like I remember I was driving down here, and I realized I was about to miss my turn. I, I wasn't paying attention to my GPS, so like I'm on US one. I cut across all three lanes, making a legal U-turn, and then as I'm doing it, I see that there's a cop, like just pointed right at me like out on the side of the street and i'm like damn man ah like because in virginia you get lit up for that instantly like just no question nothing you know what i mean and i've seen just some of the most crazy stuff i mean like i'm more worried 
about when I get on 95 North to go up somewhere than I am about you know getting the Rona again or anything else. Like, <laughs> well, 95 North because you're because you're crossing a border. Yeah, I mean it's yeah. Well, once you once you hit 95, like you're if you're in Broward, you're you're crossing the border. Like, I mean it's it's like I, I I'd be down here, I'd be driving 90 something miles an hour, and there's people flying past me like trying to run me off the highway, and I'm just like, damn. When I was getting ready, I was changing everything as I was getting ready to move down here. And I have USAA, which had, they have great rates for insurance. Like, you know, I switched from Progressive to them back in the day. Like, yeah, not we, an ad. No, we can't. Not an ad. We're not being paid for this. Dave is not being paid no, for this. No, I'm not. So, but when, you know, they told me my new car insurance premium, I was like, is that per month? Like, yeah, you know, like Florida is one of the most expensive places in the country that we cover. And in my mind, I'm like... I understand why. My mind's <laughs> telling me no. But my body. But my insurance is telling me <laughs> no, yes. <that's> <laughs> my insurance is telling me that my premium is going to more than triple, and I can't really argue. Oh, man, this has been great. I spent a good amount of time with my neighbor, but this has been good. Won't you be my neighbor? Is that, is that your way of saying you're ready for the wind though? I guess, kind of. Okay. I actually have to. Can I do a table touch before we do this? That thump you just heard, that was my pen ass hitting the bottom of the table. <laughs> now on 1210 The Man, Tomberg's pen ass hits yeah. the bottom of the table. That's going to be our 1210 The Man promo on like every episode. <laughs> so, this is the portion of the show where everybody recommends things. We start to wrap things up here. This now, is when Nick does all the producer after things. After our recommendations and shameless plugs, you'll hear our Patreon only portion if you are a paying patreon I'm person not i'm actually once again not prepared for that that's fine just wing it you'll man. figure it out Pfft, there will be it is five questions for dave arvello <laughs> uh but this is where we do our parting recommendations you i got recommendations anything it could be something you listen to watch you think people should eat or read or whatever mike what do you got because it sounds like you're eager to get this off your chest so dave east karma three you're the album Chinese. No, the rapper Dave okay. East, uh, Harlem-based rapper. I think he's Dominican. Uh, his album called Karma Three that came out in 2020. But I just heard one track yesterday, and then I I unpacked the entire album while I was laying on a couch today in my mechanic's office for an hour, and it is very good. Cool. I would listen to it. I would enjoy it, and I think uh, everyone will enjoy it also. Very good. Thanks. You got anything else for us? No, that was it. All right, Dave, you got any recommendations for the people? Yeah, I do. Um, There it is. If uh, I would say, I mean, I would recommend the whole album by Raheem Devon called A Place Called Loveland, but in particular, you need to listen to a song off that album called Pink Crush Velvet. Um, It's... (laughs) It's just, I mean, my wife to this day hates that song with like the biggest passion because no lie, I listen, I mean, I would listen to the album some, but I listened to Pink Crush Velvet by Raheem Devon on repeat for at least like two months, like just nonstop all the time. I mean, it's the most played song on my iPod by like leaps and bounds. You have an iPod? Yeah, I still do. Yeah. You have an iPod? I do. Yeah. You have an actual iPod? I have a big, huge iPod. Yeah. Like one of the OG iPods yes. with the wheel no. in, the, in the bottom. And, you have uh, an actual iPod. Yeah, and Dave, I, I, this is amazing. Yeah, I'll, I'll put my phone on Do Not Disturb and then just listen to my iPod so I can't get sidetracked. You know, I love that man. I, I like, love that. God bless you, know, like you Dave. Putting together some miniatures or reading a book or something like that. Like I'll just you know, 
<laughs> put on, putting like, together miniatures yeah. or reading a book. Yeah. And uh, but but yeah, not nah, Pink Crush Velvet by Raheem Devon. It's one of it's like it's an amazing slow jam. But I tell people like it transcends music. It's just something else. Oh man. Uh, and and wow. also too, if if you know if if you're if your lady is maybe trying to put the screws to you, maybe you got the in-laws trying to put the screws to you with like so having good. kids <laughs> and stuff like that. You know, pink crush velvet will definitely help facilitate that. So, you know, if, if it's just, you've ever, or you've ever felt the need to just maybe put on some good music and just, you know, get face deep in nature's beard oil and stuff, just, <laughs> you know, put on, put on pink crush velvet by Raheem Devon. That's good. And, uh, you know, great things will happen. Good shit. I'm going to recommend, this is a blanket recommendation, just because I've been on a kick of this particular rapper. Oh, you know, also, recently. oh, go ahead. People, Cobra Kai Season 3 is out. I haven't seen any of it. I'm dying to. Now that it's I, on Netflix, season I, 3? You haven't seen any of Season 3? Is Season 3 better than 2? Wait, well, I would I don't expect kn- it to be. I would, I, would, <laughs> I would also expect it to be, but I haven't watched any of it, so I'm oh, not sure. No, on. I don't know. I'm saving that for like an in the undetermined like later time because season one was you have to have a full day yeah with a lot of weed yeah and absolutely nothing to do to watch all of cobra kai all right you have seen none of cobra kai no i haven't none of it so i'm gonna do just so you're aware i'm gonna and i think you'll agree with this okay season one very good yeah season two they realized that their youtube audience was very young and didn't get the nostalgia stuff yeah so it became more of a teen drama. And now I'm very curious to see what it looks like now that it's on Netflix where their audience is more likely to remember the original. Do they have a character who, like, rides in a wheelchair and raps and stuff? Hold on. Wait. What are we talking about here? Like in Cobra Kai? Like where Drake got his start, you know, being wheelchair Jimmy? Are you also lost? <sighs> He's talking about the fact that Drake was a random a, character, and he thing. was in a in a Canadian teen soap opera. He was in a Canadian oh. teen soap opera, and he was in a wheelchair, and that's how he got his start. And he's asking if Cobra Kai has something similar to that, and I'm going to say no. It doesn't sound like it. Then I'll watch it. Okay, good. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Are you against Disney? Am I against Disney? Yeah. No, not at all. Well, because they got Mandalorian. It's doing pretty well. I love Mandalorian. I, I love, love all Star I love, Wars. I love. There's like a whole nother. I'm, so, yeah. Save this for your five questions because you don't know what the fuck you're going to do. All right, cool. All right. So, my blanket recommendation I've been on a Pharaoh Munch kick lately. Okay. Yeah. Munching uh, what? Pharaoh Munch. You're not familiar with Pharaoh Munch? No, Nick, I'm not. Man, this is a, a very well known rapper. Uh, I just had not listened to his stuff in a while, and lately I have all the Pharaoh Munch things on repeat. Nice. If you're not familiar, like uh, Chef. Eighth grade basketball MVP uh, and Chili Cookoff champion Michael Beltran. Pharaoh, by the way. I was is, an eighth grade MVP yeah. on my basketball team. Nice. Pharaoh is spelled strangely. It's P H A R O A H E. And then second word, Munch, M O N C H. You've heard his stuff. If you hear like Simon Says by Pharaoh Munch, you'll know exactly who we're talking about. I don't know. No, for sure you will. We'll play it when this is over. Uh, Pharaoh Munch. So check out Pharaoh Munch. Go back, listen to those things. Or if you're a young person, uh, go and listen to it for the first time. Uh, it's better than the things you're hearing now. And do that. So, yeah, you know, honestly, like the Dave East shit, when I was listening to it, I was like, this 
And I listened to some of his earlier stuff, and I was like, uh, I don't know if I like this. But this album, it rode pretty hard. Cool. Yeah, and it, and, and it definitely trends back to, like, 90s hip-hop. I wouldn't look at you and say, I want to get my hip-hop knowledge from you. Oh, you <laughs> you have no idea how wrong you are. Dude. Uh, dude. <laughs> The, the 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 three people at this table. Yeah. I wouldn't say like I want my hip hop knowledge. No, listen. I will acknowledge that I do not have the look of a person from whom you would want to, to get your hip hop knowledge. Yeah. But I that's like one of the few uh, things yeah. I like. The, a lot. The, the the beautiful thing about being able to select jukebox music from your phone incognito now yeah. is that when people are like, damn, like who the fuck picked all go. these slow jams? Whatever. The last person right. they're ever gonna look at is me. Yeah, unless you're picking Sade and you're the one guy in a Sade shirt. Well, I mean, well, that's, you know, that's, that's, that's hey, let me tell you, that's a hard ass Sade yeah. shirt. Like yeah. that, that right yeah, there, that's, that's, that's a good one. That's a serious that's, shirt. I've seen a lot. You know, yeah. I have three now with the one that you added to my collection. I'll, I'll, I'll get you some more. I had one of my clients. He, he does, he does uh, like his own screen printing. Like, oh, he, he does, does. A lot of stuff. And so I've had him do shirts for me of all of her album covers. Oh man, and they're, so they're I, the best. Yeah, I got you, but. Uh, the, you know her name is Helen. Hey, listen, I'm gonna take a piss. Oh yeah, I'm gonna trust you. Yeah. This is a first on Blanco Podcast. You're gonna transition us. Uh, you're giving me you're the wheel. Do, you're gonna do all the shameless plugs, and you're then, gonna give me the wheel, and then you're, you're gonna, gonna come back, and it's gonna be a, a to the train Patreon wreck. only stuff. Yeah, you're gonna. You're this gonna, is uh, this is gonna be a disaster. I, I think. I wonder. Yeah. And I often think about this. Yeah. When I ask someone. Yeah. Do you like Sade? And they tell me they don't know. I automatically make an assumption about that person. Yes. Right? Yeah. And, and well, just, if they said I don't like her, then I'm just like, no, oh, forget then about it. No, wait, we, no, we're, we can't. Know, we can't communicate. I don't fuck with you. Yeah. It's just, but it, yeah. it's more like I'm not too sure who that is. I, I start to wonder about it's their like, culture. It's like, I feel bad for your life, <laughs> you know? Like, but, like, I, you know, listen, I mean, I'm very fortunate to be here i'm very fortunate to work where i work like yeah. uh, like i'm i've i've lost a ton of weight since i've even come down here to, i'm just like, have you yeah hey you look good like i mean at my biggest before i even started here I, yeah i ever show you a picture of me before i lost weight nah oh man i gotta show you Come on. yeah like i at my biggest before i started really losing weight i was like 333.6 was my biggest the 3xl shirt started to not fit well i was like all right i got uh, how much i was 333.6 i was 357 hold on give me a second but uh find it. i'm like seven pounds away from hitting 100 pounds like total lost but um all right there you go and you're in the black shirt yeah wow Three three fifty seven. I think that totally day I was three fifty seven, bro. Today when I weighed in this morning, yeah. I was one ninety five point seven. Awesome. Yeah. The uh, I need to get down to one seventy five. I, I feel like I don't. I'm not gonna box really, but if I would, I would box at that weight. Yeah. I don't have a goal weight. I just want to look good and feel good, you know. But nah, but we look good, bro. Yeah. 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 Like uh, I feel great. Yeah, I feel great. Uh, you know, like happy, but. My boss, uh, Malky Kawa, is just an OG in the fight game and stuff. Like, the first, like, real super agent in MMA. Like, it's crazy how things go. But, you know, they they had kind of been talking to me, uh, you know, for a little bit. And when I first met with them, 
you know, and again, I mean, like, listen, I mean, I, I get some of these messages. People try to want to work for us all the time. Like every day we probably get emails, DMs, whatever people I want to work for first round management. I was already working in the space. I've been working for another competing agency for a long time. But, uh, you know, they, they wanted me to come in and, and talk to them, you know. So I was like, OK, I'll go in and meet with these guys. And again, I've seen people come in, you know, they're dressed up, wearing suits, you know, whatever else. I'm like, you know what, whatever, man. Like, I'm a little different, you know, like, yeah. I'm, I'm a, uh, you know, I'll wear all black suit every now and again if I absolutely have to wear a suit. But it's like, for me, like, I'm not going to try to put lipstick on a pig. Like, I'm a big, Amen. tatted up, bearded dude. Amen to that. I'm not trying to be anything other than what I am. So I, w- I rolled in there wearing some khaki shorts, some high top Adidas shell toes. And a Sade t-shirt. Amen to that. And I'm just like, yo, like, this is me. What's up? So I talk to them. I end up here. And, you know, it's uh, the other week, you know, some people were in the office and, you know, uh, you know, my style and just kind of different background and everything compared to a lot of the other cats in the office got brought up. And my boss is just like, dude, people come in here dressed, you know, dressed up all the time, trying to interview, trying to get a job here. This dude came in in some shell toes and a Sade t-shirt. Now, you know, and he was just like, man, that's just different. You know, it's funny, you know, and I just I didn't really think about it. I just showed up and I was like, you know, this is me. I've, I've never been the type of dude to dress up when I'm running shows or whatever. Like I'm wearing a band T-shirt, maybe a Sade T-shirt, some shorts, some Adidas, you know, and that's just my uniform, you know. But yeah, I, uh, where are we right now? What's going on? Don't worry about it. Just give me a second. Talking about you gave Shade. me the wheel. You gave me the wheel, the, and this is where we're at. The important things in life, Shade. On the 31st, I wore a full corduroy khaki suit. Strong. <laughs> yeah. A full corduroy, corduroy. khaki suit, yeah. and I don't know why that was a, an absolute mission for me, yeah. and I'm okay with that. Also, equally, I had a huge meeting. Yeah. Uh, it's probably been six weeks since I had that meeting. Yeah. And these people were courting, and I can't – because of like NDA things, sure. I, I can't like unpack what the meeting was for, but they were courting several different hospitality companies. Sure. And um, I said to myself, I was like, you have two options. You can either be like everybody else or you could just be who you are. Sure. Yeah. So I show up to this meeting. This is back when the Cadillac was on the road. Yeah. In the Cadillac, wearing my big hat, I'm wearing like, uh, you know, a button up, gold tooth in. Fucking joggers on and chucks on. And I'm just yep. like, this is who I am. And if this is not who you want to do business with, cool. I'm sorry, yeah. bro. Like, this is this is just what it is. Yeah. And I'd have to say that it's gone pretty well since then. And something that they very much appreciated out of that meeting was what we do and who we are is we are Miami we are this community. We are yeah. like all those things because this community in the city has provided, has invented and just done this, all yeah. this, right? Yeah. So um, I think they appreciated that. And I think that is just a testament to be who you are, no matter what the situation is. A thousand percent. Um, it doesn't matter how you dress, what music you listen to, uh, the whole situation. Just yeah. fuck the noise. Yeah. Do the thing. Yeah. Right? Nick, you're back. I'm back. Sorry. I was just uh, responding to a text from Carluba who told me he forgot to close out a Taurus. I have, asking, I have already heard. Oh, he, he was he was asking. He was, I told him I'd close out for him. 
right. I mean, I believe he would have to, you know, get his tab closed out by the bartender and pay like the a forty percent tip. Bartender already has yeah? his information, and they have already closed him out, sir. So there. Uh, okay. Anyway, Gotta did, love did you did you jump into the? So we have not done shameless plugs. No. Okay. Shameless plug time. Let's do it. Dave will let you do your shame. By the way, Dave or David? I don't even fucking know. Dave is cool. Dave. I mean, yeah. Shameless plugs. You can plug all your shit. And I guess in your case, maybe you want to plug some of your client shit. Okay. Yeah. I mean, um, I would say, you know, just if maybe this is your, you know, first time listening to this podcast and getting maybe a little bit more acquainted with combat sports and just the fight game in general, you know, just... Uh, you know, uh, if things get all crazy again, which a lot of people are worried about with, you know, new president and new lockdowns and stuff, which I hope never happens. Um, as, right. as far as the lockdowns is, you know, whatever, but, uh, you know, check out, uh, you know, check out fighting. I mean, especially if you live in South Florida, like, I mean, uh, I think a lot of people just don't know, like in terms of just boxing and MMA, especially like you live in just one of the most like fertile places in terms of talent. I mean, there's so many amazing fighters that have come from here. Um, you know, that just, uh, you know, check out, you know, local fighting events, watch the UFC. And as, as, as things kind of open up more, you know, you can check out, there's more fighting events that are down here. You've got, you know, global Legion, you know, FC, which is run by a good friend of mine, Cosmos Lovanos, um, you know, Titan FC, which is down here, Lex McMahon, uh, one of my closest friends, not just in the business, but just in life in general, Dean tool, he runs Island Fights, you know, as well as Icon Fighting Federation, which are both on UFC Fight Pass. Um, you know, he works with Roy Jones Jr. and everything, too. I've been down in Mexico where I've texted you some stuff. Yeah. I've been down in Mexico for some fight events. I mean, it, it's just, you know, it, support kind of your local, you know, promotions and stuff. That's where, like, you will, especially down here in South Florida, you will see the guys who end up being like the big UFC stars of tomorrow, like when Jorge Masvidal was coming up before he started fighting overseas and then hit a high level promotion wise here. Like he was fighting here. Like so many of the other bigger names in the sport came up fighting here in South Florida, in Miami at old CFA events and other stuff. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, check out, check out some fight events, you know, I have a feeling. Yep. And listen to Sade. And while you're doing that, I think it's interesting that you mentioned that because yeah. oftentimes good talent in Miami all around, all around, doesn't matter what it is, music, food, yeah. fighting, whatever it is, mm-hmm. goes unnoticed because the community is interested in other things. Yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, there are some places where, you know, you have a fight event, everyone's there. Whereas if there's a fight event here pre-coronavirus anyway it's just totally lost in the sauce because people are just doing there's all these right. you know there's clubs there's concerts there's festivals there's all it's this clubs, other just shit. clubs not a lot clubs, of concerts yeah. uh, you know but um people have told me that Sade plays here so whenever she tours again Sade has not played here in like the, six years bro well because she rarely tours I know no I, listen I'm aware of all the things she's like D'Angelo what <laughs> yeah no <laughs> do, uh, she, she's way above D'Angelo come on let's I'm be saying honest. infrequency of touring anyway yeah I mean Brown sugar is one thing, but smooth operator is a different. Yeah, um, I'm good here, Nick. We're good. Shameless plugs. Yeah, just the things, Big Ink and not in Miami and uh, Ariad and all the things. Just you know, you guys know that we all know the things. There you go. All 22 listeners are all in all 14 countries. Correct. They all know the things. Social yeah. media at Bangkok Podcast. That's 
P-A-N-C-O-N podcast, like a podcast sandwich on all of the, the butt social sandwich. media things. Or a butt It's a butt A butt A. <laughs> we learned... We learned, I, I had never heard Foldy or Buddy until the last episode we recorded. Uh, you're that's uncultured and you're the freedom bear. I know. Uh, also. Stay tuned on Patreon and give us right. all your money for the next Ask Dave Arvello five right. important questions. Give, give me a second. DaveMag.com slash Pancom Podcast. Yeah. Plugging. Also, plugging, if you want to support what we're doing here plugging. and get some exclusive content like the questions that Mike is about to make up Just on the fly for Dave Arvello. all your money. Patreon. P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Patreon.com slash Dade Mag to support this and all of the other shit that we do on DadeMag.com, including, by the way, an op-ed that we will be running soon from one-time Pancom Podcast guest, John Falco. We're doing an op-ed? No, you're not doing an op-ed. This has nothing to do with you. This is not a Pancom podcast issue. This is a DadeMag.com but issue. But sandwich. John Falco wrote an op-ed about the Espionage Act and whether Edward oh, Snowden man. and Julian way, Assange... Way too heavy for listen, podcast. I'm just That's why it's not here. But I'm right. saying with your contributions, you can support yeah. shit like that yeah. also. In Contribute true, all your money. Yeah. In, in true Miami spirit, just make it rain on the exactly. Patreon. Exactly, just give me all your money. I want to feel like a fucking stripper, man. Oh, I want to feel like you're just putting all your dollars. Here's in what I okay. How about this? Sh- sh- whatever our hey, payout. Here's okay. Yeah, I'm gonna like say that. this. <laughs> Can how we about just this? do that? All whatever the time? whatever money we make in in the month of January. Okay. I will withdraw in singles, and we will post a video to our Patreon account like that. of this me making good. it rain on Michael Beltran and Quincy the dog. No, Quincy is way too pure for I, that. I, I thought we were gonna say like. Tootsies are stir crazy. No, no, we can't afford to spend this. No, we can't afford to spend this. We can, but no, not, we will not really. Not this, really the podcast. We will. But we, we, can. we will withdraw this money. We will make it rain on Michael Beltran, and then where's, we will deposit. Where's Masvidal right in all this? We got to bring him to the strip club with all the Patreon dollars. We, we got to get a lot of patrons. <laughs> yeah, we do. We do have to. You yeah. see? We, the call the, to there arms. There you go. The call to arms. There you go. Call All right. So, so patreon.com slash Mag. And if you're supporting us there, you will hear beyond this point, And you will hear Michael Beltran's extra questions for Dave Arvello. What God help us. I have no questions. idea what they are. Last time they lasted an hour and a half. Mm-hmm.